Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Well, well, well. Look what the cat dragged in. Oh, I know what it is. It's full strength Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. On this 24th of August, 2022. Yes, I am back. Hello. Merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I am joined with you today with my editorial hetero life mate. He is the king of Connecticut. He's got a weird smirk on his face. He's probably tired as balls from having to carry the show for so long, but no longer. The rest is over for me. The work is back. That's Brian Campbell. Hello, BC. How are you? Uh, Luke, welcome back. Uh, Glad to hear you had a great time. Uh, I didn't know if you were coming back, Luke. I'm going to be honest, okay? I know when you combine, you know, BBLs and the and you know, I thought it was going to be the Luke Thomas live show for the rest of the rest of my life here, but uh you're back. Um uh you said this is not going to be a normal MK episode. This is going to be, you know, supercharged. Did you sprinkle a little uh Cocaine leaves on top from from the mainland, Luke. Did you? Boy, you, uh, couldn't, you couldn't make it one minute into the show without making a cocaine joke, huh? Very <laughs> no, no. Well, Luke, it's a it's a natural uh, product from the earth. I mean, I'm just it is. That's to, true. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't need the coca leaves because I was uh, uh, on sea level. I was in uh, Cartagena, Colombia. Cartagena for everyone else, and uh, so no, you don't need that kind of stuff there. Well, you know I mean, I they did legalize. Party, they legalized the, the booger sugar while you were there, Luke. No, no, no. They didn't legalize it. Petro, who's the president, int- said he wants to push it through, but it has to go through Congress and a bunch of other stuff. It, gotcha. it, it remains to be seen whether it will happen, but uh, it's a good idea. I can tell you that much. Uh, how are you, BC? I know your back must be hurting from all the labor you've had to endure, <laughs> which I want to... Yeah. Let me just say this to start the show, because whenever one of us goes, it's always a hassle for the other one that stays, but that's life because people have to you know go live their lives outside of the show. But it just so happened that I went on vacation at like the worst possible time for BC because there was last, I mean, there was all kinds of MK stuff he had to worry about. Then on Saturday, he had to do stuff for CBS Sports. There was MVP Perry, PFL, UFC Pay-Per-View, and Usyk Joshua, and there was Bellator that I missed on top of that. Dude, you're set, and you had to call the prelim fights with Keith Thurman down in Florida. My friend, I have to say, I was extremely impressed with all the work you did, and I know it was wow. very hard. So as your I mean- friend... 
Thank you, my friend. Thank you very well, much. Pour some sugar on me in the name of love. Uh, thank you, Luke. Uh, I will use this moment to pat myself on the back. If, they, if we could be, if I could be knighted right now and be and be Sir Brian Campbell, the Welshman, uh, uh, honorary Welshman, uh, that would be great. But uh, Luke, as 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 much as I want to gloat of my own successes, and I do, um, we're better together, yeah. Luke. And I don't have a vacation scheduled right now. And I know you don't either. No. So when you look at what the potential for big fights could be over the next couple months, hey, hey, Tui, it's it's Hardy. Let's bang. Yeah. Bro. Bro, from September, and not every month evenly, but from September to basically the rest of the year, basically the rest of the year, there are going to be huge fights, some of which have been announced, some of which have not. Some on the MMA side, some on the boxing side, but we are. I'm glad it's over. Vacation, everything. I'm glad I went. It was great. Don't get me wrong, but we got our work cut out for us for the rest of the year. I'm actually pretty excited about it on both sides of the combat sports aisle. So happy to be back. And um, yeah, final question on your vacation: How dark were your sunglasses to keep away the idea of like there's BBLs? I can't not look at them. But I am a family man right here. Okay, bro. I tell you what. You know what? I, I, I it's not that I didn't know this before, but I changed my approach up a little bit. So, you know, you got to remember something like the average street person in any place is just the average street person. So you have to go to like a nice restaurant or a resort or whatever to see the grade A quality. And believe me, there was plenty of it. My wife took me to a couple of resorts and I just couldn't believe the talent on display. It was like the McDonald's All-American game of BBLs. It was fucking insane, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I will tell you what, wow. I will tell you what. I, and I again, I had seen this before, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the time I was going to the gym or whatever. There was a, there's a bodybuilding gym near where we were staying. And I went about five times just to like, you know, just get some work in and, and stay healthy and everything. And, um, Dude, the gyms, the bodybuilding gyms in Colombia, the level of talent on display. My wife knows this. She dropped me off one time and saw it. She was like, have fun, because she just couldn't fucking believe what she was looking at. Wow. Dude, it was like wow. it was like my Instagram search parameters all in one room. I mean, you just couldn't I mean, fucking is believe. It, are there like old guys walking around taking pictures, or is this no. accepted normal? Uh, Dude, the society? gym there, the gym culture is totally different. The first thing I would say is it's majority women, like all the time. No matter what time you go, it's just majority women. Like it's it's, it's a couple dudes. And by the way, all the dudes there, they all wear lifting gloves. All of them. It's like <laughs> they made Don Osco. They make me sick. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Yeah, but but, but does it does the transaction end in victory for those guys? Yeah, probably, Luke. Okay, probably they're not very. By the way, they're not very well built at all. Like they don't try to get super muscular. I think they just go for social hour. But if you want to see primo talent uh, in terms of you know if Latin women are your kind of thing, go to the gym. Go to the gym around one or two p.m. in the afternoon. It will blow your fucking socks off. I could not believe what I was looking at. It was a joy. To get you know on that treadmill, let me tell you. Wow, it's a good aggressive start for MK. But uh, finally, Luke, and this is the last time I'll speak. It wasn't me doing all the heavy lifting. I got to shout out Chuck Mindenhall, Rashad Evans, Aaron Bronstetter. I mean, you know, all gave some, Luke, but some of those guys gave all. Uh, Chuck on the couch with me and Demetrius Johnson. I mean, it was we we still packed it up. Everybody loaded up. We got a lot done. So uh, this family that we're building. You know, Shaq, this family that we're building, it's unstoppable. 
Okay. Yeah, it is. They did a great job as well. I saw uh, the Demetrius Johnson you sit down you guys did with Chuck, and it was great. It was really great. So he fights Friday. He fights Friday uh, yes. evening. So we have a lot to get to. Um, all right. As a reminder to everybody, thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Hit subscribe. You can follow us on the socials. We'll put up the graphic here. You guys know where to go. L. Thomas News, Luke Thomas News, B. Uh, B. Campbell or Brian C. Campbell, all that good stuff. Uh, you wanted to uh, get some merch, you can go to morningcombat.store. I believe the bomber jackets made a debut oh, yeah. while I was out, right? Bomber jacket season is upon us, Luke. Um, so here's the deal. I want to let people know. Because, you know, oh, you know, well, the styles vary, quality varies. Um, this is probably our highest quality merch. So I know it's, it's, it's a little pricey, but uh, this is the real deal when you put it on. You're like, oh, shit, this isn't just like honky MK stuff. This is like a legitimate thing I'd wear in my real life. Um, you better jump on it now because we don't have a, uh, you know, infinite amount and they are moving. You're going to like the way you look in these this fall. Pumpkin pack pitching with your woman. I can guarantee that. Okay. All right. Maybe maybe your maybe your time at that pumpkin patch is going to suck, suck the horn, but you're going to look great. You know, for the for the uh, for the IG, you know what I'm saying? I'll Luke? say this. My wife likes all the shirts and the hoodies that we bring. I showed her the bomber jackets and she goes, those are awesome. Like she couldn't believe how good they were. So, yeah, BC is doing a sell job here, but he's telling the truth. These are probably the highest quality <laughs> thing we've ever sold. I mean, maybe that's debatable, but it's in the conversation at a bare minimum. Uh, yeah. As well, Showtime.com is a label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30 day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not. You can bounce and BC, you know, what can I say? Athletic greens. I mean, they keep us healthy. They keep us regular. They keep us in good shape. I took mine on the road overseas. They were well, they were, they did, they did good for your boy. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, you, I actually love it the best on the road, Luke, because sometimes that's when you, you can't always run into the best food options. Yet I always start my day with that one green magical scoop. I feel clean because that's what it tastes like. Mild tropical taste, but I look forward to it every morning. This is how I start my day. It's, I'm not a finished product, but I'm getting there with AG1. Uh, certainly am. And by the way, uh, like I mentioned, we took the packets. I was able to travel with it, BC. How about that? Oh, and so uh, how about this? It'll cost you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your stupid cold brew habit, BC. And, you know, I won't get into details, but there's been twice in my own household over the past year where everybody got sick except for me. And they're like, I can't believe you didn't get sick. And I go, I can't really explain it. But, you know, I'm putting that green scoop in every morning. So why don't you do the math? That's right. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. I mean, if you can't trust those two guys, you can't trust anybody. But we're talking about lifestyle-friendly, keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free, whatever your diet is, this contains less than one gram of sugar. And I didn't mean diet. I mean whatever your lifestyle is. Because this has no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, you know, while still tasting good. Uh, right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the cold and flu season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Wow, what a, what a spectacular duo here, this performance. And to make it even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you, the MK viewer, right now, for free, a one-year supply of vitamin immune-supporting vitamin D. It's a droplet once a day. Adds to the equation and for that five free travel packs with your first purchase that we talked about. Here's the website, athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. 
Again, that is athleticgreenspluralcom slash morning combat to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, okay, BC, let's kick this show off, shall we? Yeah. All right. Topic number one, while I was away, a lot happened. Let's quickly go over it. It says here on the rundown vacation stories, we kind of already got to them. We can, we can work past that if you want. But uh, UFC 278, there was a lot that is to their unpack, I suppose is a, an awkward way of saying it. BC, I finally ca- I watched the whole thing. I finally caught up with it. I thought overall, pretty good show. By the way, surprisingly good crowd in Salt Lake City. Um which was an interesting little twist. I guess the uh, the the people from Utah are quite nice. They seem to be energetic about the opportunity to be there. Um, I guess we could start with that main event. Boy, what a result there for Leon Edwards. Um, I had him winning the first round pretty cleanly. I thought two through four was, you know, obviously Kamaru. And then round five, you know, I'm, people have been asking about, like, the luckiness of it or, you know, to what extent was all of that how much can we ascribe to that win as intentional by Leon Edwards? I'll tell you a lot, man. I mean, yes, you had referee Herb Dean break them up in the fifth or the mid part of the round. And then you had Kamaru just sort of willingly strike with him at that point, which seems to me like a bit of a strategic error on his part. But dude, I mean, the BT Sport just put out a video about it showing how his team had scouted it and prepared for it a little bit. And obviously, you know, when he threw that kick at the last minute of the fifth round, that wasn't the first time he had ever planned that. Obviously, he had thrown that probably a thousand times in practice and over the course of his career, even more than that. And so to me, like, you know, how, what, what are you asking of Leon Edwards? You're asking him to be intentional. You're asking him to be strategic. You're asking him to act with viciousness. And then you're asking him to, like, you know, have the presence of mind to be on the hunt, right? Like, still try to win. Yes, was there something to be said for Kamaru allowing the fight to take place in a domain where he didn't have all the advantages. Sure, there's something to be said for that. But Kamaru's good on the feet, and you couldn't ask anything more from Leon in that moment. You couldn't ask him what else was he supposed to do in that last minute other than what he did. He was trying to finish the fight up till the last minute, and he did. Fair play to him. He's your new welterweight champion. He had to take a massive L in the pandemic because he was supposed to fight Tyron Woodley, and then the whole thing fell apart. His career got delayed. Here he is two, three years later at this point, enjoying the fruits of his labor. What a moment in MMA. What a moment for him. And uh, to me, nothing accidental about it whatsoever. Well, I, I think, and that was you know eloquently delivered, but I think it's a little bit more of a middle ground because I don't think enough people are talking about the elevation. It's not like this is the only UFC pay-per-view card that's ever been fought at elevation, but it seemed like everybody, except for Usman, really was affected in some way by that. And and hearing Edwards just in the past 24 hours, you see some of the news sites aggregating that he said that um, he felt like his you know, body was just given out uh, during those middle rounds when Usman was sort of controlling things and dominating. And I think that went a long way, by the way, in how big of a shock it was when he delivered that because he had looked relatively lifeless on the ground in rounds three and four. But I think at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's a perfect storm, meaning if you're Edwards and fans of Edwards, no, it's not a lucky punch. It's not, it's not, you know, a Scott Smith haymaker that connected. It's, it was something that was, you know, thought of uh, in advance, set up, and the opening was there, and damn, he stepped up and delivered it. But if you're Team Usman, Luke, I think it's more than okay uh, to to remind yourself or even go all in on the idea. Not much wrong here. It was a fluke. Now, it's not really a fluke 
But it's close enough, I think, if you're Usman, where you're like, I was in control of this of that whole fight. It's, you know, pretty hard historically to do the run that I'm on right now. I'm not excusing that lapse in judgment or defense in that moment. You know, he got served. He lost the title. That That's what happens. But I do think it, it, I'm not as worried of, of how does Usman bounce back, which which has to be looked at for how long he was down, how, you know, emotionally devastating this type of result is. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, like this is, you know, a historic moment in some ways in terms of how unlikely it was. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's close enough to a fluke, Luke, where if, if Team Usman needs to view it that way to get through the day, I'm okay with it. It's not delusionary in my mind. I mean, I think if you're arguing, if you're arguing that if you're Team Usman, do you like your chances in a third fight based on what happened in the second overall? Yeah, you certainly do. And to be honest, I think when the odds come out, they'll probably have Usman as a favorite. It remains to be seen exactly how much of one, but I would suspect he'd be the favorite. Are the odds are out? They've got what? Uh, minus 350 for Usman? Is that what I'm seeing here? Kumaru, yeah. They got him in my That's pretty substantial, right? To the point is, when you say fluke, it depends what you mean. Do you mean accident? Do you mean unlikely? You know, certainly it is improbable in that well, I think, sense. Well, to I score think people late. jump at that work, word fluke, Luke, because they're like, man, you've been counting out Leon Edwards this whole way, and he just head kicked the, the pound for pound king, and you still won't give him the due. We're not taking away from the due. This isn't even necessarily like Juliana Pena against Amanda, but. To act like there's no element of fluke or luck mixed in with the talent and the skill and the way it was set up, then you're you're kind of mis misreading it, you know? Right, but this is very different than the Amanda one and Juliana Pena, and I think here's why. Number one, you mentioned the elevation. Dude, that didn't work to Leon's favor. That worked to Kamaru's favor. Yet another factor, yes, I know he showed up two weeks early. I got to tell you, I mean, I'm certainly no world-class athlete, but I've been in places with high elevation. It takes longer than two weeks to get used to it. So that's the first thing I'd say. That's another challenge he had to overcome. Number two, we're talking about the pound-for-pound pound best who was ready for this, who was winning this contest. This wasn't like, you know, Amanda Nunes abandoning what she was normally good at or, you know, just sort of like running into punches in some kind of unusual way. Kamaru was dealing. The reason why you have to give Leon Edwards credit is because, listen, this is not a game that is guaranteed to go 25 minutes. We have mercy rules in this sport. It'll stop it if you can't keep up with the with the pace of the fight, right? The referee will intervene and stop it. He was he he was certainly losing, but we had never gotten to that territory. The point I'm trying to make here is even in the very last minute of the fight, quite literally, quite literally, he was hunting. He was setting things up and not just throwing spam, not just, you know, willingly just kind of uh, just throwing things out there to see what it does or to stay busy. Dude, he was trying to be a sniper with fight finishing intent. What the fuck else is he supposed to do other than that? He did yeah. everything, relatively speaking, up to that point that he could. And to be at elevation and then to be dejected. And, you know, you can see the look on his face and Dean Thomas was talking about it as well. He wasn't even making eye contact with his corner. He's right, dude. That's all red flag territory. But then to yep. center himself, get back to it, and then to throw, dude, that is exactly what champions do. Now, whether he can scale that over another five-round performance, certainly I am skeptical because we saw what Kamaru can do. I'm only saying, I'm, I just, I just want to be clear about this. I'm only saying what could be asked of Leon Edwards after Herb Dean separates them? He delivered times a billion based on what was reasonably possible in that scenario. That's why it's, like I said, the perfect storm where both sides of the coin are true in their own ways. But yeah, I mean, let's be honest about what what 
Edwards was able to show and why this moment means so damn much to people, I think as it should. I think the only real comparison between this situation and the Nunes-Pena one was the human spirit element of, of how unlikely Juliana was, yet you know fought through hell to get there in his own way in this fight, down on the cards getting kind of handled and dominated. You know, uh, Edwards did that same thing to the level, Luke, where I've actually been surprised at how much the impact of this moment has touched people. Uh, and, you know, the Juliana moment was great. The Rose head kick comeback on the... I mean, we've had a few of these lately, but this one in particular, I mean, it looks like like John Anik has been, like, changed by this moment. And, God, I, I, whatever, you know, whatever that drug feels like to call this fight in that moment and deliver, I mean, John nailed it. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd imagine you'd be high coming off of that. But in light of these reactions, Luke... Where does this sort of fit in now, historically, in terms of like maybe not like knockout or head kick knockout or, or even comeback? How about moment? Because when people think about those snapshot moments in UFC history that are run in those, you know, pre fight Baba O'Reilly by the Who video montages, does it actually eclipse um, Rousey Holm in just terms of like the holy shit factor? I mean, it, it, it's like the only difference in the Rousey home fight was home didn't have to rally. It was one way traffic the whole way, and then the big yeah. moment. This is this was different, but that that was like a like a moment in like br- regular news, not just sports. When Rousey lost that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean that was so huge. And then here's the other part: I didn't watch it live, so I have a I don't know how to appreciate it in the same kind of way. I mean that's re- that's really one of those fights where you just have to be there live, I think, and wa- or at least watching it live. To get the full appreciation of it, so I could. It's it's a little hard for me to answer that. To me, I watched Silva Son in one live, and I remember thinking this was over for Anderson. It had come, and then to put on the triangle last minute when he was beat up and his knees were fucked and everything else. That's a hard moment to beat, but it's it, it it's it. And again, the Rousey thing was one way traffic, but she was such a towering figure that it was this crumbling of an edifice in the most. I mean, it was a true implosion in that way. Here's what I'll say about what it means for Leon Edwards. Show me any Leon Edwards press conference moment. Show me anything he's ever posted by himself on social media. Show me any interview he's ever done. None of them will show you as much about who he is as that post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, where he he honestly says the same thing over and over. Look at me now. Look at me now. We talked about being from the trenches and everything else. Dude, he showed more emotion more more life in terms of like a he's not a very talkative guy right he showed you the inside of who he was something i think he'd kept guarded for a very long time in ways that was very brand new and i think that's what people respond to people i don't think had made a lot of connection to leon and it wasn't just the major achievement it was the outpouring of you know dude you could see him the the years of difficulty wearing on him and the, and everything else like he sh- he came to life in a certain way that he never had in his entire career after that knockout. I think that's what people are resonating with. And I got to be honest, I felt that too. I felt that too. And I like that he's getting this love, not only publicly, but on this show. Some people didn't love that Rashad was on Monday show and, you know, his perspective was completely different. He was in the front row sitting with the Usman family when the knockout happened as a friend of Kamara. So I get that. I think, you know, Rashad also delivered, by the way, so you can back the hell off. Yeah, he always delivers. How about that? I mean, come on, you know. uh, You know, if if, if you're going to lick a toad and you can choose one shaman, Luke, you're going with Rashad, right? Right, big time. Uh, yeah, so it's good to see Rocky get this moment completely. Uh, I probably had something else in my head I was going to transition to, Luke, but that moment. Well, we, let's talk about that co-main event. I'd be curious. I have not heard what you had to say about the co-main event. 
Um, I know some people had a weird feeling about it. Obviously, we're talking about Luke Rockhold and, and Paulo Costa. I will tell you, and I, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Yes, that was in many... I got to tell you, BC, I, I had a, two feelings about it. On the one hand, it's one of the worst performances I've ever seen from Luke Rockhold, right? In terms of just overall skill. For folks who may not realize, you know, you want to see skill from Luke Rockhold, go watch the first Michael Bisping fight. That is Luke Rockhold in full. You yeah. know, and that is him. Watch just, the Machida fight. Watch the that Machida one. Machida fight, yes, where he takes the back and beat the living shit out of him. I mean, he for you know, what made Luke Rockhold special was, you know, obviously he had a certain look, but you know, just to getting down to brass tacks, he was highly skilled. Highly skilled. He could strike, he was athletic, he had phenomenal jujitsu, right? He could really do a lot. This fight with with Paulo didn't showcase really hardly any of that. But I will tell you what it did look like to me. Okay, uh, and again, this is not a totalizing comparison, but people were wondering why was he smearing the blood and why was he doing all this other stuff. To me, you're talking about Leon Edwards and his triumph there after all the difficulty. Luke Rockle was in a similar kind of position, but I think he knew that he was you know on the way out of the sport. Probably, I don't think he just retired on a whim. Uh, it felt to me like in the movie Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan tries to fight the storm. And has this like cathartic moment about the whole thing. To me, it was, was almost that before like, or after he lost his legs, Luke. Spoiler alert. Well, I think it's after he lost his legs. It was in the right. it was it was in the storm where he was trying to deal with the trauma that had happened to him, right? And the whole point was you can't beat the storm, but you can beat your demons. And I think Luke Rockhold was trying to exercise exorcise some demons that he had been dealing with about three years off and getting viciously knocked out. Remember, Jan Blahovich broke his jaw and he had all kinds of other knee injuries and everything else and and the self-doubt and what was going to happen. I think it was a giant, like, him getting that off of his, sh- the weight, so to speak, off of his shoulders. And so if it, it viewed as a cathartic moment, uh, it actually brings me, uh, to be honest, a little bit of joy. But, you know, he is so not reminiscent of the guy that he once was. I was very, very glad. And, and frankly, I, you know, he's got other opportunities outside the octagon. I was glad to see him retired. I think it, it's time well, to go. I, I was and, too. Um, he, he did some great things. He did. But, like, he needed that moment internally, as you're mentioning. No question. But I think, like, his how are you going to remember Luke Rockhold? This is the ultimate bow on top of the package because, Luke, the second half of his career, which featured so many spectacular losses and time off and, you know, public spats and all that stuff. You know, it's easy to hate a guy like that who's got swagger and like that. I don't think he was beloved, yet he did like the ultimate babyface turn if this was pro wrestling to not just the fans, but to Dana White, who afterwards, Luke, I mean, they'd been fighting all week over fighter pay in the back and forth comments. And Dana's just like, I'm never going to say a bad thing about him again. I mean, that's the ultimate way to make everybody happy. And he seemed to fix whatever doubts or, you know, with all the injuries and all the doubt of, of him ever competing on a high level again. And yeah, it was batshit crazy. It wasn't a good performance. He almost gassed out after rounds one and two. But somehow that just, it just fueled what this kind of bizarre fight was like to watch. I mean, this was ultimate weird theater that does not happen in 2022. Like, people don't go out like this. This was a victory for Rockhold and how it's publicly perceived. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, I don't know, it's freaking wild. Um, Dude, the, the fact that he lasted. You know, and he again, he didn't look great. I mean, Luke Rockhold was a guy, I want to be very clear about this one. He was in his prime, his very top days. He was just known as a very smooth, multi-dimensional operator. This was very much the opposite of that. But, but 
lasting the full three as painful and as exhausting as it looked. I think that was kind of important for him. I think it says a lot about why he was there, which was, again, to just to just kind of give a fuck you to everything that had tormented him up to that point and to then finally, you know, to not succumb to everything. I just It seems to me like he felt like he was trapped under a sheet of ice, whether it was injury or, or you know, promotional this or, you know, who the hell knows all the different things he's dealt with. To me, him lasting the full distance was his way of, you know, planting his flag at the top of Kilimanjaro and saying, I made it. And uh, good for him. I'm really glad he got that opportunity, but it is time to go. I got two things quickly to ask you about this. Number one, you referenced Lieutenant Dan earlier from Forrest Gump. Given his service, the ultimate service to our country and the likely PTSD he was suffering in that wheelchair, do you judge him morally for his love of prostitutes, Luke? I got to tell you. If you want to judge the troops for their love of prostitutes, there's not many of them you're going to love. <laughs> okay, here you go. There's some inside baseball for you. And number two, Luke, um, this was a big day for, for the Tukes today, right? Huge yes, day was. for the Tukes. Yes. Uh, first- Tuki is not here right now because she is at preschool. She Today was her first day of preschool. She was a little bit nervioso. But um, but also pretty happy, and we haven't gotten a call from the school yet telling us she's in hysterics. So well, I'm excited for her. I know this meant a lot to Abuela and the family. I'm really excited for you guys. But if the Nelk boys surprised her with a gift uh, of a luchador mask, would you go all Luke Rockhold on them uh, for yeah, I gotta tell Hispanic you, I, misappropriation? You know yeah, I, mean? I got to tell you, that was bad form on the Nelk boys. Here's the thing. Do I think that they were in trying to insult um, Chito Vera or trying to insult Latinos or anything like, like that? No, I don't believe that. I don't think that was ever in their mind. But it's just one of those moments where you're so fucking clueless, you don't realize what you're doing. And let's be honest, I've had a few of those moments in my life. Not all of them were caught on camera. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and beat them up in that kind of way where let he who is uh, without sin cast the first stone, as you know what I say all the time. But what I will say is, you know, why the fuck would you ask an Ecuadorian guy, whether he's in San Diego or not, to put on something that is very much uniquely part of Mexican culture? It's because you don't really understand or appreciate the differences between these people uh, whatsoever. And so, you know, I, dude, I, question- I have seen I have seen my wife. I have literally I have borne witness to this where someone has asked my wife where she's from and she'll say Colombia. And I have I, I, I watched it with my own eyes at a work event. Someone told her, oh, I, I really love tacos. I, I heard it. I heard it. Dude, you know what sucks in Colombia? Tacos. Wow. They make the worst fucking tacos on earth. It's not what they do. It's got nothing to do with them. And it's only because you just sort of see these people as a monolith. So what I don't think is a good idea is just to beat them up ad nauseum. But this should be very much a reflective moment for them to realize you've got some learning about the world to do. And Luke Rockhold was right to call them out. Well, I don't even know if like they knew or like they might have been ignorant to the level they're just like, oh, this could be a fun gag. Let's let's put this on. Like, what? Either way, it's ignorant, Luke. But uh, it was just a weird to see Luke Rockhold like pull up arms over it. You know, what I mean, he was well, going I mean, all cane first on of all, that. You know? <laughs> let me ask you a question: Do you think he was sober when he made that speech? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anymore, Luke. Okay, right? I don't so try to judge first, people's sobriety anymore. First things first: Who the hell knows if he was like on weed or you know sober? And I'm not judging him for like you know who cares yeah. at this point, right? But the reality is this: I bet Cheeto Vera came to him and said something about it, dude. It fucking clearly bothered him. It bothered yeah. him. No, he loves Cheeto, and I, I love their bromance. But um, 
Yeah, bro. I don't know. I mean, you know, he who has the first watermelon vape uh, cast the first stone at another hey, man for being a I got dirt candy. Hole, you know? I got rainbow candy vape here today. How about that? Wow. Oh, that that's as low class as it can. I mean, that's like, that's great, Luke. That is, you know what I mean? That's just, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why don't you just dip a, a foot long in a beer, Luke? I mean, this is great. Dude, we should do the glizzy uh, beer thing on Friday, but okay. Um, that aside, very quickly, the Aldo fight. I wonder what you, what you make of that. My, my only takeaway from it is Aldo was clearly feeling the altitude, is the yeah. first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is, um, dude, that was I, I, there was a moment in time where Aldo was happy to just win fights right around the Korean zombie Lamas fight-ish in that territory. And I distinctly, distinctly remember people asking him media asking him did you think that fight was close because a lot of us did in certain cases and he'd be like no it wasn't close at all like blah 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 why didn't you do more i didn't need to it was that guy it was that guy all over again he felt like he was doing and by the way i think i think he won the first round i think there's a case to give him the second but he clearly lost the third and the second round was close like tough shit dude the other guy didn't get a takedown but he did a lot more work I don't I don't agree that he's playing the Juan Manuel Marquez card of I've never lost like I should have won I was up 3 nothing. I think he I think the altitude I think the altitude's a great thing again to bring up and people keep DMing me BC how come you guys aren't talking about the altitude? I think there's enough of a pattern here where I think Josie Aldo who not only was going to have to use most of his gas tank if he was going to keep Marab off of plan A to wrestle him, I think he threw everything he had Luke into keeping his back off the ground. And there just wasn't enough left. And the altitude hit him. And I think it just got to a point where that was going to be the, the the best, most professional performance Aldo can do at this age, this altitude, this weight class, with a guy nonstop trying to take you to the ground. I mean, it was a Herculean effort. He basically pitched a no-hitter there, but didn't score any runs. You can you can pitch a no-hitter and lose, by the way, in baseball. I mean, it was one of those situations, Luke, where... Yeah. Um, it's tough because he fought great, but he was missing that sauce that separates regular meat from looking and sounding like every other damn talk show, Luke. You know? Yeah, I mean, also, that fight was what we thought it was. Elevation notwithstanding, because we did miss that, I think, in our pre-fight analysis. We didn't give it enough consideration. But uh, what I will say is we knew it was going to be like workhorse versus skilled fighter, and just you didn't know where it was going to give. The altitude played, I think, a pretty significant role in that contest. But, you know, Aldo's looked like he was rolling on the ground and, like, looking up, like, in disbelief. Yes, the, there was one 30-27 scorecard, which I thought was indefensible. I don't know how you could give Marab the first. But, like, there was, I got, I got, that was the first time I'd seen Aldo since maybe the Korean Zombie or the Lamas fight, right, where he was like, what do you mean? I, of course, I won every round. Like, how could this be? There was a, there was a twinge of that kind of hanging on to me, but... Um, you know, here's the thing. It's like Marab's stock, it's a nice win. He, okay, you beat Aldo, but his stock didn't go up a ton, I feel like, or as much as you might imagine with a win over Aldo. Conversely, I don't know how much Aldo's stock really takes a hit, but the, the rankings oh. position will be affected. But in terms of how we think about them, I think you would agree, right, BC? Not a whole lot changes well, here in that this. equation. It's very gray. The area is very gray here. Uh I don't think Aldo's reputation or even his standing takes a huge hit, except for the obvious fact that three wins in a row had him on a track toward a potential title shot. Wow. Now he's off of that track. It's not impossible to come back. It's unlikely to come back. He has a big enough name. You never know. You get it. 
But I think I don't it's tougher on the Marab discussion because I did argue in the post reaction that like, holy shit, Marab got his entire uh, job one game plan a taken away from him and he still won the damn fight but yet didn't necessarily solve all these questions we had about can he strike on the elite level because of what the threat of his pressure ended up doing in disarming, all, you know, Jose. So, you know, okay, maybe, maybe I'm naive to some of this thing you're saying on Jose where he thought stuff and takedowns and dominating that was enough. Maybe I mean, I don't, I don't even know if every, anybody understands what MMA scoring is really about right now, Luke. So there could have been some of that. But with Marab not answering the questions – there's only so much you can take away from that because of the of who Aldo still is and how hard it was to do exactly what Devalish Willie did with no takedowns. I mean, that's crazy. Agreed. Agreed. It was it, the thing is, if you didn't live through Aldo doing that, you, you 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 would easily forget about it because the more modern version of him, like after he lost to Volkanovski, you you didn't see any of that. Like he kind of took the L for what it was and accepted it. Same with Max. Of course, that was a finish, but. Um, but you, you know, the, the, that guy, I think we had thought was long departed. Ever, ever since maybe losing to McGregor, we thought that guy was long departed. And again, you know, the, the, if they fought at sea level, would that fight have gone the way that it did? Maybe not. Actually, maybe not. But it was interesting for me. I, I had forgotten about that guy, and like I had these flashbacks of that post-fight press conference after beating Korean Zombie, which on the record looks like a TKO, but it was an injury really, and his foot was blown up and everything else. Um, where the guy was like incredulous at the idea that this was even close. People were like, you sure about that, bro? Like, the, I remember Aldo got a lot of bad press around that time for just not even thinking shit was close. And he had to know after the third it was going to be dicey. He had to know it was going to be real close. And he just seemed like, what? Like, how could this happen? No, dude, you know how this happened. You didn't do enough. That's how this happened. I'll, I'll so. tell you who had no problem with elevation in their time, Luke. Fabricio Verdum. Tenzing Norgay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Real quickly. Real quickly. Yo, that Sherpa should have got credit for that, Luke. Okay? Probably, probably should. Real quickly. Usman told TMZ about the trilogy because we heard Dana say that they want to rearrange the calendar to bring the fight over to England. Here's what Usman told TMZ about it. What else makes sense? I mean, look at the division. Of course, you know, talk about who else he could fight. It's absolutely what's going to happen next. I've talked to Dana. We're going to see. I'll let him do his job. We're going to see what date makes sense. I'm going to be top of next year. Excuse me. It's going to be top of next year. I was going to try and squeeze one in this year, but I think it'll probably be the top of next year, and I want to go to England. I've been fiending to go to England. I feel like England is my second home now, and England is half Africa. People don't know that, but it's half Africa, so it's time to go over there, entertain my English people, and what better story? You couldn't write this any better, so I'm excited to see what's next, and we will definitely figure something out. BC was interesting. Folks are saying, you know, uh, should they go to England for this? One thousand percent, they should go to England for this. Yes, but it was—it's related to the question of like, should they not go to places with altitude? BC, you know this as well as I do, and this is just—we always talk about fighter pay as like this defining thing about imbalance between promoter and fighter. But the reality is, if Errol Spence is in the main event and the promoter says we want to go to Salt Lake, and he says I don't want to go to Salt Lake, is there? Any chance whatsoever when Errol Spence says, I don't want to go to Salt Lake, that they go? Fuck no, there's not. He has enough say where they have to agree upon this to go to a place of mutual benefit. And of course, it doesn't need to be anywhere else other than Texas because that's where he's from. But the point I'm trying to make is people are like, well, should the UFC go to high altitude or not? The way to look at this is if the fighters had a say, you wouldn't even have to worry about these questions. It would be it would make much more sense about where they hold events relative to who is in the main event. Now, that being said, 
given that uh, uh, Edwards is now the welterweight champion and just knocked off the number one pound-for-pound guy and is from England slash Jamaica, does it make sense to go to England? A million percent it makes sense to go to England. And why is Usman embracing it so much? Not just because I do think Usman is, quote-unquote, a real champion, meaning he does have the right intangibles underneath. He's not always the most beloved. You know, we always debate why or whatever, but... um, he, I think he bounces back, but I think he also looks at this as, okay, it's obviously not the intended plan. I wouldn't have wanted a loss in this scenario, but I was kind of dominating the fight, and I'm not sure I would be able to, you know, short of fighting Chemayev next, get a chance to have an event, financially important event like that. So I think he's excited about this potential of, of now going to England. and Because, and, Luke, we thought maybe, like, Colby could be the villain like Chael was for Anderson to ha- to see if this could push Kamaru over the top, like, commercially. And I don't think he's hated or nobody cares. I just think that, you know, when you get to the pound-for-pound pound level, number one level, you're like, we sort of look, can you be the complete package? And I think this, in a weird way, kind of helps him financially and in that area, especially you go back and you redeem yourself and win back the title. And now if you do it in enemy territory with a legitimate fan base, like this could end up being a, a plus for, for Usman in the long run. That's all I'm saying there. Luke. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's a lot of way. And, and by the way, if Edwards is somehow able to retain, can you imagine beating Kamaru back to back and then doing it in England and what that might do for that already burgeoning and developing market. Again, we always talk about how insane the UK boxing crowds are. Boy, if we can get closer to that, we are going to be in business. Edwards winning would be uh, important and dramatic. I want to ask one question, though, which is something I get asked a lot here, which is how long do you think Edwards will hold on to the title? And that's obviously very hard to know because, one, hello, you got to beat Usman twice. Good luck with that. That's not easy. But even if you do, Chemaev is on his way. Sean Brady's on his way. Shavkat Rachmanov is on his way. I don't think whoever holds this title, do I think Usman's going to hold it for much longer even if he gets it back? Probably not. He's fucking 35. Edwards is younger, I think just 30 or so, but still, BC, this is welterweight, dude. You never bet on longevity at high-level MMA. It's just so hard to keep. Uh, and those hammers are coming, right, in every division, but particularly this one with a with a with that next wave of welterweight is coming on. But I think, again, let's put the focus back on Leon and, and give him his respect here, Luke. Um, part of when you looked at Leon over the years, I think part of why it was easy to underrate him was, like, it's not just the marketable side of it, but a lot of his offensive and defensive categories he's like b plus a minus across the board like in a solid way but not always a spectacular way but we didn't know until he was at the bottom of the well here that his intangibles like like i just talked about with uh with another fighter like they're a plus plus i mean he hung in there rallied back kept his poise all that stuff that it does make it hard moving forward to try to handicap like like, do I favor Usman in this rematch? Of course. I saw the first fight. You know, the, the odds are going to be the odds for a reason. But that's a special power. Not only the level of confidence that Edwards walked into, but what that confidence fuels for him, which is, you know, that grit and determination. Because he is so sound, B plus, A minus across the board in every category, he doesn't get dominated and handled too often, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he may not always blow you away, but he's always very responsible and still in the fight, which he proved in such a demonstrative way in this one, that it's like it's kind of what I thought on a different side, what made Charles Oliveira's run at this moment special is his confidence and his danger is so damn through the roof that he's getting into these crazy fights, he's getting hurt, but he's still winning them. Um, 
it, that's usually when someone hits their peak of their powers and then they have this lightning bolt of momentum carrying them. It doesn't usually last long, but Leon Edwards might be in the midst of that right now. So I'm not I'm not ready to take the bill off of him until I see somebody do it is really what I'm saying here, Luke. Yeah, I and I know people fair. say, hey, nice to hear, BC, but you've been shitting on this guy for years. He woke up my ass, Luke. He, he woke up my asshole. I mean, what do you what do you want me to say, people? Okay, all right. But, but also, it's like you know, I said this before. Okay, BC, pop quiz, ready? Discounting Saturday, so you can't say that as your answer. What's your favorite Leon Edwards uh, knockout? The one where Nate Diaz almost got him. Yeah, the good answer, Luke. Okay, right. yeah. this is my this is my point. It's not like he's. I mean, you could say Seth Bazinski from like fucking however many years ago. But it's like, this is my point. He he had nice wins and a long, difficult path to get here. But the kind of shit he showed, you know, it's somewhat new. If people are sleeping on him, it's not because they didn't recognize he was good. It's just they he, he hadn't done anything quite like this to this point. And so I thought he had some new tricks which were interesting in the fight. But, you know, the reason why we've been somewhat skeptical of him is because there was a new level of something he could show us based on what Kamaru, you know, what he brought out of himself, but what the challenge brought out of him. And so, you know, we, we are willing to amend it as a consequence of that. But if we were a little bit short-sighted, it's because we had a reason to be a little bit short-sighted. All right, very quickly, well, hold BC. on, Luke, quick. Let me just jump in because, you know, any chance I get to point back at that cinematic classic Dune, I'm going to do that, Luke, the, the new one, the new Dune. You know how they, they hit that button and their body had like a shield over them? Yes. That's what momentum is like at the highest level of the UFC when you're on that rocket ship of... It doesn't matter the matchup. I can't lose at this moment. You know what I'm saying? Connor may have had the biggest we've ever seen at the end of the day, Luke. That may have been the biggest lightning bolt. I mean, bigger than the one he had against Mayweather at the weigh-in, to be fair. God, I I mean, I could do this all day. That frozen steak he had in his dungarees, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, BC, real quickly, uh, takeaways from BKFC and PFL. I'll do this very quickly. I'll start with PFL. One, I saw that Rory lost and lost badly to to an opponent on short notice, and I saw he retired long overdue. Long overdue. I thought he'd been done for some time, and I think if he sticks around, he's just going to continue to get hurt. I really believe this, BC. Hard to say with any certainty, but it's just what my hunch is. I think that Lawler fight changed his career irrevocably. Uh, it took he retired, too much out of him. Did they tell you he retired on Instagram? I just said that he retired. I said it's oh, long okay, overdue. Oh, okay, okay. I wanted now, to make Now sure who's that. not listening, huh? Huh, King? Sorry, I, I was just I was still in the, uh, you know, that after moment after you just you just land the plane, Luke, and you sit yes, back and you're like, you were, yeah. You were sniffing your own farts and too busy to listen to your partner who's been gone for two weeks. Um, so what I was going to say was uh, he retired. I think it's long overdue. I'm glad to see it. He's only going to get hurt. You know, yes, he could beat some guys here or there, but, you know, it's just not worth it at this point. So I was glad to see that. Uh, Kayla won again. I saw that there was a lot of guys. I saw, I saw this before I left that. Umalatov, who, for example, Rory was supposed to fight in the heavyweight guy as well. They couldn't get visas in, which was a fucking disaster for the PFL yeah, at the last that minute. That sucks. No one's talking about that. That sucks, Luke. Dude, it's like, what do you if you're the guy in the semis and you can't make it because of the visa, then someone just slots in. It's like if you're going to have a matchmaking system based on a tournament schedule and then the financial considerations are built into that systemic order. You can't just change and jumble the shit up later. Like, the whole point is everything is based on that. Yeah, you can sub in, guys, but it fucks over the people in the semis yeah. big time. So That tells you they got a really good sight feed and go there. That's what that tells No you. shit. No shit. For real, that's true. Uh, but the BKFC side, here's something we should talk about very quickly. I saw that Mike Perry won. I saw that it was a split draw. I, I mean, I saw most of the fight, and then, of course, I saw the final round. Um 
dude, if you take this fight, and yeah, MVP is not washed, but Paulie, by the time he fought um, uh, Choo Choo Artem, was, you know, <clears throat> he was long past prime by that point. But here's what I want to say people think the difference between BKFC and boxing is not just the quality of like athlete, but the fact that they're not wearing gloves. Yes, that is a relevant consideration. But I would argue that the constrained space and the rules about what you can do and what you can't do in terms of grabbing opponents and dirty boxing and shit like that, that makes a gritty, grimy fighter who's willing to take damage but has big power or can deliver it much more of a threat to a more sophisticated kind of stick and mover or a guy who's got more you know sort of technical boxing skill. It's not boxing. It's BKFC. It is different. And Mike Perry had to grind it out, but dude, he fucking did it. Pretty impressive job by him. Yep. You you I'm out. You said you said what I've been saying, Luke, heading into this fight, after this fight. Um, it's <laughs> I know it's the last stop for for the veterans who who are gristled but still have a punch left in them or still have a chin to take a punch left in them. But uh it's I mean, look, it's creating these um these folk heroes, Luke, like Britain Hart. All right, it's I mean it's 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 a market that's working for them. I saw John Jones posted a picture on IG with uh who's it Taylor Starling. She's another one of these like this women's division's wild, Luke. I don't know if if they could have the success in the actual discipline. Some of them have tried professional boxing or or MMA or whatever, but you put them in that circle, fists only, Luke. You see it 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 takes a different breed. All right? Yeah, last thing I'd say is the constrained <laughs> space and the 2-minute rounds. It's just well, you can't you, you can't, can't land like a, you used to. It's like yeah, we do see knockouts, we do see one punch knockouts. Absolutely, we do. And but you can't c- consistently be all or nothing in, in pursuit of that. You're not only hurt your fist, but you know you'll get caught off balance, and somebody will dirty box you and catch you with something gnarly. I mean, it's and then you know just the slicing up, Luke. It's oh, I mean, God. I never would have put any money down that PVZ in her prime would have ever come near this. I mean, you could get. You can get caught. You can get Teddy Atlas there. Okay, maybe that's extreme. Maybe that's you know that was a yeah. Knife. That's a little yeah. hot. That's a little harsh. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go yeah. to topic number two, which was the other big fight that I missed on the boxing side of things. Uh, very quickly, let's talk about Usyk Joshua too, and then we'll talk about Tyson Fury versus Usyk and what might happen there. BC, I was looking at the tweets when I was walking around the streets of um, Cartagena on vacation, and they made it seem to me like Usyk dominated in the way he did the first time, and so I watched it. I don't really agree. Now, here's what I thought. I thought that up until the eighth round, I had maybe given Joshua like one or two rounds. Like I was like, okay, this is what they were talking about. But here's my big takeaway. Two things. One, dude, that was that was a winnable fight for Joshua. And I did not understand large parts of his strategy. He did his best work by far when he went in the eighth round and that ninth round continuously to the body. He had Usyk backpedaling along the ropes and continuously Joshua would let him off and let him just roam. And I was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? I just didn't get it. Like those, that was clear. It was clear. Significant continuous body work not only slowed him, but had him backpedaling, had him leaning against the ropes, that was an open invitation for Joshua to be the big man there and big brother him, and he let him off the hook. So yep. who's the better boxer? Well, it's Usyk. Usyk is the better boxer, clearly, between them. But 
the idea that this wasn't winnable for Joshua, it's like, I don't know what to attribute this to. Was it fight IQ? Was it, I, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know how to say I this think because it was, he could have won this. Look, there's always been talk that, you know, because there was always pressure on AJ to shake up his team, get, you know, get rid of the trainer. He finally did it this fight. But to be honest, he also kept one of his other original trainers, so it didn't even look like Robert Garcia had complete control. There's always been sort of talk that, you know, AJ's got a lot, lot of yes guys around him. I, I've never known that or, or, you know, I've never been in the camp, so it's hard to know if that's true. But I think it was a little bit still um, underestimating what Usyk's really about, but very much overvaluating, if you're AJ, what you're capable of from this standpoint. There were two, two paths to go in the woods after that first fight. Either all or nothing on be the bigger man, walk him down and knock him out, or try to do what you couldn't do the first time, which was outbox the best boxer in this division and somebody with boxing skills and, and footwork that we just... I mean, if Tyson Fury's a unicorn, Luke, Usyk's a pretty damn interesting unicorn himself in this division, in this in this modern era where you, know, you don't see... Muhammad Ali's and Joe Frazier's and all those guys walk off the bus. You know, it's a different breed in this super heavyweight era. I think AJ thought because he was close in that first fight, it was a clear loss, but it was competitive. I think he thought, let me just add a little bit more. No stones unturned. I'll produce the best boxing performance I ever could produce, and it will be enough to win. It was almost enough to win, meaning split decision in the end, whether you agree with Glenn Feldman or not. I didn't in this case. Um, but I had an 8-4 Usyk. I mean, close enough, but at the end of the day, you picked the wrong strategy, and you had no overinflated value of what would have happened if you made whatever adjustments that weren't there in the past that you needed to make. Look, he made those adjustments. This was the best boxing performance you're going to get out of AJ. That's right. And it wasn't good enough because he's fighting a unicorn, and that is ultimately, I think, what fueled him blowing up and and you know acting like, like he had a couple margaritas. I mean, we, we know the comparison, but like... It was, I mean, look, what did you think of that? I mean, this was like well, let me, drunk let me uncle say at one the more wedding. Time, though. Like, I mean, I come really, on. I really, I just want to be very clear about something. I did not think, if you just watch him box in the center of the ring with Usyk, it's pretty clear he can get, you know, a shot in here or there, but he can't win. That's not a way to win. Dude, he had Usyk fucking wincing, visibly wincing and covering up, and he let him off the hook. I could not believe the lack of, urgency along the ropes to just keep him there wrap up with him if you have to but constantly go back to the body go back to the body go back to the body remember Stipe in the in the rematch with Cormier just left hook left hook left hook to the body over and over I was like motherfucker do that shit I got a pivotal question to ask you about what you just said you ready yes in that, remember how romanticized and how much I got into this DC Stipe trilogy and it was DC's chance, you know, and they lost the belt, but it was his chance to, you know, cement that legacy and it came up short. But what I always said was, in that rematch, dude, you slammed him like three times in the first round. Why did you abandon the wrestling, which allowed you to lose the second fight? And in some ways, we all thought he was going to come back wrestling or nothing in the third fight, but he just didn't have it. And we always talk at the end, well, it's stamina. It's why... Even Usman, these guys get to a certain level where at that age, you can't wrestle at that pace and level anymore. I mean, we never saw Habib old where he couldn't utilize his plan A, right? But you do end up hitting a wall. If, that's why people evolve and add the striking, just like that's why Michael Jordan would evolve and add the you know fadeaway jump shot to, to, to attacking the rim so he could become a complete player. So in that regard, Luke, um, 
I don't know where I was going, but it was going to land. It was going to be big, Luke. It was going to be like going to be great. It was really, um, I, mean, I was really painting, you know, setting it up. It was going to be something special. I was surprised. I thought based on the tweets that I had read that this was, you know, kind of like the first one, maybe a little bit closer. And for a lot of it, it was. But oh, I got eighth, it now. Ninth, I got it now. You ready? Yeah. I'm sorry. I, you got to hit this. It was about the stamina, Luke. At the end of the day, 39-year-old DC couldn't wrestle Stipe for for five rounds, right? It's not fit, right. it's not possible. Is Joshua something that's always been said about him, too bulked and jacked to be able to have 12-round up-and-down wild fights? Yeah, he found it against Klitschko, but he had a stamina dump that led to him getting knocked down. So it was he was asking something of himself, Luke, that I don't think he realized wasn't possible. So you say, why didn't he turn it on in round 10, you know? I don't. You only got so much in a tank that big. You know, a, a tank that big, gas tank that small. Luke, that's the way. Okay, but he was going work. to the uppercuts to the body at the end of combinations. I thought the Chris Algieri did a great job as a commentator talking about it early on. Why didn't? Why did he wait till the eighth round to start going to the body continuously? I mean, this is my point about the fight IQ. I don't know if that's the issue. I don't know if there's something else. Yeah, is he too big and bulky? Maybe. No, he was getting countered. Dude, Usyk, uh, the difference between the first two fights... In the first and second rounds? No, he wasn't. Not very much. Well, let me tell it to you like this. The difference in the two fights to me mostly was that Usyk needed to establish in the first part of the first fight that he's strong and accurate enough to put AJ in trouble if AJ gets too cocky, too reckless, goes goes for the push. He didn't have to do that in the second fight because he changed his strategy and only worked on basically off counters because he was countering AJ's jab so quickly and it was starting to puff up his eye that I think he basically took away not only AJ's hunt for the body, but really the effectiveness of his own jab that it became AJ looking to land one big punch that wasn't there until he tired him out but couldn't get him out of there. I, I, I am I am very skeptical that it took until the eighth round to find openings to the body like that repeatedly. I think he waited too long to really do it, and even when he did it, he didn't do enough of it. To me, it's it was a conscious choice, to some degree anyway. Uh, you're asking about the post-fight rant. I don't have as negative things to say about other as other people do. I saw people killing him for it, and to be clear, like the shit he said was weird and like. Kanye interrupting Taylor Swift type <laughs> shit. Like, it was bad. It was bad. That's a good, that's a good comparison. Wow, that's but really like, good. Here's how I felt, dude. Like, he broke down at the post-fight press conference. You know, he had on all black. You know, he had the black gloves. He had the black trunks, the black shoes. He had almost like a little Mike Tyson-esque vibe going on. Dude, I think he really wanted this one. I know it sounds kind of obvious, but like a lot of times, boxers are like, well, I made a bunch of money, and I kind of tried, and yeah, he was a little bit better, and they can kind of live with it. Dude, it devastated him. It devastated yeah. him. Because he so, went all in. Agree with went, that. It's because he went all in. He went all in. He went all in. And I got to tell you, he A, he was just in a prize fight. And again, credit to Usyk, rounds kind of 10-ish and then 11 and 12, he was putting it on AJ himself. So like AJ had been hitting the head a little bit, certainly in the last quarter of that or last third of that fight in, um, a little bit. And so what I would say is, BC, you know, do I think what he said was graceful or awesome? No, it was weird and bad. But at the same time, after I saw him break down, it was pretty clear to me that he really told himself something about who he was yeah. and what he was going to do that day, and it didn't happen, and it fucking devastated him. And so, absolutely, absolutely. That, I, to me, it's like I forgive him. I don't. I don't really want to beat him up for it. I, I agree that it's weird, but I don't want to beat him up for it. Well, okay. If if it had, if there was no conflict and this didn't mean as much to Usyk and Ukraine, to be fair, and I and. You know, when you when you watch the interviews leading up to the fight, you suddenly start to realize, oh, shit, like this is, you know, a monumental moment in terms of impact for this 
these people in the midst of this struggle and 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 and, and uh, you know it was taken right away from Usyk. I mean, he's got tears in his eyes. He's got the flag over his shoulders, and the flag got taken away from him for this like condescending. I mean, the fact that at the post fight press conference. Not only was everybody there on the stage almost like trying to reinflate the balloon so obviously to tell AJ, no, no, you're not shit, you're great. And like they were like, they were verbally blowing him, Luke. And okay, if that was what was needed to 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 prevent the, you know, the former champ from going downhill, I'm not here to stop that. But the journalists who are grabbing the mic and they're like, AJ, just so much class in the post fight. And cl- class? No, it really? wasn't class. But dude, like here, just really ser- serious question. Given everything that had happened, remember, he was just in a prize fight. There was adrenaline coursing through his veins and everything Somebody's got to grab the mic. Get the Hulk of the Fair Apollo enough. Theater Fair, hook. Fair Come Fair on. Enough. Eddie Hearn or somebody should have intervened. But do you think, and I'm going to ask this honestly, do you think at that moment he was in his right mind? Because I don't. I don't. Now, if he later on, like in a, two months, does an interview and like defends it, well, that's a little bit different. But for right now, it looked to me like he was not in his right mind. Right. And was just like he had so much grief he was trying to process. He w- he didn't know what the fuck he was doing, to be quite honest. I'm almost I'm almost not blaming him as much because that was a human reaction and we all can go too far in any you know, any argument dispute, but there was nobody to check that on a live, yes. you know, global television event. That and there was many people that could have checked. I mean, I don't even think if you watch the video close enough, there's actually YouTube breakdowns of the meltdown where people had brilliant ways of looking at it. So when AJ right afterwards, when he, he was trying to fist, he was offering fist pumps to Usyk's team, which were all younger professional fighters, but he was like punching their fist. And they were like, and this was adding to the growing tension in the ring where Usyk was starting to be like, oh my God, like he's basically shitting on me. You know what I'm saying? Like there was almost a fight between Usyk's handlers and AJ for that very reason. So it given... Dude, give him the, all that. Dude, give the guy his fucking moment. Hey, Forrest Griffin, get out of the cage, all right? Come yeah, on. It was, it, was, it, was, it was poor. It was like poor. Like the moment I, at a wedding when Uncle Richie grabs the mic and is like, oh, God, I remember when we used yeah, to go. Yeah, but here's the thing. What if Uncle Richie just got divorced, the wife took the house, the wife took his kids, half of his net worth, He's now living in a van down by the river. <laughs> he had one too many margaritas at the open bar. You, you right. know, listen, you don't you don't allow him to do it. You know, you got you're right. You got to intervene, but at the same time, yo, my man's going through some shit. You got to be. Gotta he is. So him. you give him. You probably give him like one to two either like accidental slurs or like you know calling women broads or something. That, but like I think a second time you'd be like Uncle Rich. We got like this is a you know yeah, we yeah that, that's the issue. Someone should have been to intervene, but I think he was devastated, and you know it's hard. It's it's hard to be in your right mind when you're like that. It just really is. Uh, all right. So that leads us to the question, BC, of what happens next. Now, Tyson Fury, I think, announced just today he'll fight Usyk if the Saudis pay $500 million. <laughs> Michael, Benson, Michael Benson, who is a boxing reporter, tweeted that Frank Warren has declared that Tyson Fury versus Usyk for the undisputed WBA, BC, IBF, BO heavyweight titles will be a 50-50 purse split between the two world champions and also said that it will take place wherever it generates the most money and indicate it's almost certainly not going to be in the UK. What do you oh, make of yeah. this, BC? Or the US, to be fair. Not only yeah. does Tyson Fury can he, have... Can he even get into the US at No, he can't. But look, this has... Yeah, it comes down to the bottom line. It, ideally, this should be in the UK, even though that's a potential home field advantage uh, for Fury, because you could put you know 90,000 at Wembley Stadium. It's, it, this this would meet that, that atmosphere without question. But... 
I mean, let's let's recap. Why was why was Joshua Usyk two just there in Jeddah? I mean, probably because when Joshua fought Andy Ruiz in their rematch in Saudi Arabia, it was reported that he made like eighty million. That was the the hey, if you come fight here, you personally get eighty million. Look, that's Mayweather McGregor, Mayweather Pacquiao level shit. Like that's ridiculous. That's for the A side just to show the hell up. Okay, so you have to believe that. They're gonna they're gonna find all them dollars here. It's probably gonna be there. I love that Tyson's finally saying, you know, not dancing around it. He wants it. I think all that stuff he does back and forth, retirement, all that is probably at the end of the day more for this negotiation. But if his pr- co-promoter Frank Warren is saying publicly, no, we're doing fifty-fifty. Obviously, Tyson the bigger star, but Usyk's got three of the four belts and now that mythical Ring Magazine Championship. So lineal champ. Well, you know, you get what I'm, my point here. If if it's that easy, that's look. That's the reason why Team Eddie Hearn was all over AJ after the loss and didn't care about Usyk because that was the end of Usyk's contract with Matchroom and DAZN, and you know they knew it and everybody. So it's probably going to end up on ESPN pay per view if everybody puts it all together. And um, we need to protect this at all costs. This is the fight we need, the fight we deserve. Both guys undefeated. Both guys already legends in their own way. Um, I want to ask you quickly here, Luke. You still you still gotta favor Fury for a lot of reasons. So are the two Joshua wins super overly impressive? That shows everybody that no matter the matchup, Usyk can find a way. Or is it a little bit of fool's gold because Joshua tried to box twice and Fury can do everything, including lean on him if he needs to? Well, I think just beating Joshua twice again over the course of twenty four rounds, dude, that's very difficult to do. Up a weight class, that's very difficult to do. So and to not he, get screwed on the cards in, in doing right. that, right? That's right. That's right. Pretty, pretty fucking impressive, right? However, I think Fury is a different animal. I think Fury thinks on his feet. I think they're going to have a great game plan. And I think that Usyk will make it, no doubt about it, competitive. This is not going to be a guy that's going to be easy to put away either. But I think the buck stops at Fury. I think Fury is not just you know all this crazy sales guy and you know his, 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 his this carnival show and everything else and he's got huge dimensions and everything but dude he's a he's a thinking man's fighter he really is and, oh and he'll get off off the canvas luke he has no yeah. problem and yep. the, the hardy showed in the third wilder fight we have to remember that right holy shit we have to again i that. just go back to round eight you watch round eight of this second joshua and Usyk fight and you're like dude there's ways for a big heavyweight to put it on Usyk. We yeah. just didn't see enough of it. Fury's going to find him, I feel like. Fury's going to uh, and, and Fury's not afraid to get gnarly, whether that's yep. cheating, whether that's leaning, brawling, whether whatever. I mean, that's he literally... Too. It's like, dude, Joshua's always kind of a little bit afraid of contact, you know? Yeah. Fucking Tyson Fury is not. Dude, Tyson that's Fury a... has fought the, the biggest puncher of this generation three fucking times, you know? It was always in Tyson Fury, meaning to have... What he to have the heart to do like getting up off the canvas in round twelve of the first Wilder fight? It was always in him, but I think that Otto Valin fight he had after that first Wilder fight, where the you know eyes busted open, the fight could have been stopped at any round. I think really, Luke, that's where he learned how to use the big man style and really, you know, I mean he he completely did what you're supposed to do when you're hurt and, and you're in danger there, and he used all of his advantages. You do that against Usyk. It's going to change the equation, but I want to close by giving Usyk his ups. Did you notice that after round eight and nine, which looked disastrous, Usyk looked ready to be to be stopped, really? He took that right cross from Joshua. Luke, that would have folded anybody. Did you see that right right hand that yes. Joshua hit in round yes. 10? 
and Usyk just took it and came right back and rallied. That's like a like he's he's, he, he's, he's a badass. He's a real one. He's a real yeah. one, Luke. Yeah, he's tough as shit. There's no denying it. I just feel like Fury. He's something special. He's something special. Yeah. Uh, yeah all right. Damn right. Let's talk about this topic number three. We have a shit ton of fight announcements. Let's go through them here very quickly. BC, we'll start with this one. <laughs> and I saw this and I was like, damn, they're doing Wonder Boy dirty. <laughs> Shavkat Rachmanov versus Stephen Thompson. There's a timetable not set, but likely before the end of the year. Holy shit. Now listen. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Thompson, he can surprise people, even in his in this advanced age that he has. But fucking giving him to Rachmanov, it just feels like they're setting him up for an execution. That is Thompson. But yet, it's also the right fight to make. Seriously, it really is timing wise, the right opponent at the right time. You know, different style from the most recent ones. Veteran, former title contender, all that can still fill up a marquee and help give a little bit of a rub. But yes, that's a lot to ask of a guy at this age. Damn. Um, but Luke, it'd be right. It could be the right test. Could really be. What if, we, what if Shavkat's got to think and be really violent and precise, but also really think Luke? Yeah, he will. He'll have to think his way through, but he tends to do that pretty easily. Um, yeah. this is an interesting one. Tony Ferguson wants to go back to welterweight and take on the leech or I want to say back to welterweight. I think he had fought there previously, but Li Zhang Lang confirmed for UFC 279, September 10th. I gotta yeah, tell wasn't you, he like, a welterweight tough champion, Luke. Was yes, that true? he had previously fought at welterweight. Um, what I, my point is, I gotta say, he went to Jackson's. He went up a weight class, which at this point in his age is probably not a actually a pretty good idea. And Li Jing Lang, very very tough, very difficult fight, but it seems like at least in theory winnable for Ferguson. I got to say, I kind of like this a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, so I don't like it, but I think Tony has deserved a shot, a chance to have this opportunity, a, a chance to carve out one more run on your own terms. Um, I'm suspect of it just on what I've seen, and, it's and you know, this opponent could, could do damage on him, Luke, if it goes bad. So it is an interesting fight from the standpoint right. that we really don't know if it'll go bad and maybe really bad or if this is sort of the right matchup that an old sort of legend, and that's what Tony is. Let's, I mean, the fans treat him like he is. He's deserved it. Again, um, he's capable of winning it, yes. But, oh, God, Luke, I just... it's. It, I know. It's, I, I didn't expect this Chandler, to... You're like... Hit you know. me in the feels, dude. I didn't expect... I didn't realize I love Tony that much. It's hitting me in the feels to watch the wheels just fall off one by one. And again, there's not matchmaking that can't do him an honor if they want to do that. This is a tough-ass fight, Luke. This is a real hard fight he's got. Uh, it certainly is. All right, Andre Feely taking on Bill Algeo. By the way, these are going to go in chronological order. So first one, I mentioned uh, the uh, Tony Ferguson fight September 10th. Uh, Bill Algeo and Andre Feely, of course, a featherweight contest. Algeo coming off that win over Herbert Burns. Uh, this will be September 17th, UFC Vegas 60. Fun fight. I like it. Algeo's yeah. due for a step up in competition, and uh, this is a good test. And Feely keeps teasing that he's ready to make that real prime run of his maturation, Luke. He keeps teasing it. Um, how about this one? He's teasing you. He, he is. He is certainly teasing me. Uh, Bo Nickel taking on Donovan Beard. This will be Dana White's Contender Series Week 10, which will be September 27th. For folks who may not know, Donovan Beard, he just won. Uh, I'm not sure if he won or defended it, but he is the existing CFFC welterweight, uh, excuse me, yes, middleweight champion. He has a 7-1 record. Now, oh, I actually oh, like damn. this fight a lot because 
Folks are like, I'll just send him to the UFC. And yes, we all really agree he can beat Bo Nickel, UFC-level competition, and maybe he'll just run through this guy like a freight train too. It's certainly possible. But a guy who's 7-1, and one, holds a title on the regional scene, okay, now we are going to get a much clearer sense of exactly where his abilities lie. This fight may go to the second or third round. We may see a little bit more of Bo Nickel's game, or we may not. Either way, this is the first test in his career that will give us at least some kind of indication about where he's at. Yeah, it's aggressive, but it's not dangerously aggressive yet because, you know, there's some criticism of, yeah, could he already be there right now? Did he already show you enough? Yeah, combined he did. But why rush? You know, you like this. They have made mistakes in the past with certain guys rushing. So this is a way of having your own development system. It's like on the boxing side, people will forever credit top rank for being the best matchmakers. They just know how to get a guy from point, you know, A to point B and have him experience what he needs to experience to make sure he's ready for it. Uh, as much as we always praise the matchmaking that's like video game level matchmaking, like high on a couch, who are the two most exciting guys, let's match them together. We all love that, right? And that's we get a lot of that. This is also kind of necessary. And I, I think, you know, we don't. the cameras aren't normally this zoomed in on, on this part of a, of a fighter's career. Even a fighter who's, you know, is seemed destined for big things. Um but we can still watch that growth and make it make it must see, and it and it has been. I think it will be. Bo looks like he looks like a pretty cool dude, Luke. Okay, I don't know if that equals you know winning fights, but uh, I think I think if we had him on the couch one day, I think we'd all fall in together. All right, that's weird. Uh, Jairzinho Rosenstrike is our Rosenstruck. We'll take on Chris Dawkins. This will be UFC Vegas sixty one October first heavyweight contest. Chris Dawkins. I think looking for some rebound opportunities. I think Rosenstruck, same kind of way. It just seems to me, if I'm Dawkins, I might want to consider wrestling a little bit here. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the perfect loser's bracket TV fight. Somebody's going to get knocked out. Both need it really bad, but you do wonder if this is the point where Dawkins adds on, makes a pivot. This is a perfect fight for that. I mean, on the flip side, Luke, Rosenstruck's stock, not not all that high right now. No. I mean, this is... This has maker not is this a make or break fight? I mean, we love to add that on top. We like to just put that candle right on top of the cupcake, Luke. Is yeah, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's that, but I'll tell you for Chris Dawkins, it would be the biggest name on his record, right? For sure that. Um, if he can get the win. Uh how about this one, dude? Can you believe it? CM Punk is calling fights, which is a good gig, by the way, I think for uh CFFC. But Mike Jackson, still the MMA media guy, still in the UFC. He's going to take on Pete Rodriguez. This will be UFC Vegas 62, October 15th. God bless Mike Jackson, boy. He has he has had a much longer UFC run than I thought was going to happen. So good for him. I mean, it's hard because, like, you know, he, he's acted like a peacock in the cage, and that really, really pissed off Dana. But it's like, you know, do I... Do I think he's a clown for that? I mean, some of the, the antics kind of made nah, you feel cringy. he's a good cringy, dude. I like Mike Jackson. But he's also proving that, you know, not only does he have a chance to redeem his his sort of reputation on, on how we've known him up to this point. He, you keep getting chances and come back. It shows you're a, survi- a survivor and a fighter. And that, you know, that takes some navigation too. I mean, a lot of guys would have gone full-time videographer after that moment, Luke, but uh, he's going to come back and fight it out. So I'm going to be interested. I'm going to, I want to see this. Yeah. I got barbecue with him in Texas. What fight was that? can't remember. Um, and he's a good dude. He's, he's a, he's a funny guy. Uh, all right. Misha Serkinov taking on Alonzo Menafield, UFC Vegas 62. It's the same card, October 15th. Here's why that's relevant. Remember, Serkinov jumped down to 185 to see what he could do there. It didn't go all that great. So 
Menafield is a light heavyweight, so I'm guessing Serkinov is now going back to 205. And I kind of agree with that. It's like, I don't know really what he got from the 185 experience. It didn't make him faster. I mean, maybe he was a little bit stronger, but it didn't didn't change his his the way in which he interacted with his opponents in any kind of observable way. So why not just go back with the less weight cut? But Menafield's a tough guy to beat, but you know I think it's winnable in either direction here. Yeah. So. I mean, what'd he get? He got dehydration and probably tighter abs, Luke, from that experience. But I think he'll be better up. You know, it's it's not you got you got to do something here. Let's make that move. Let's go for it. There's there's still some life in there, Luke. Okay. Same card at I think bantamweight. Rafael Sunsau taking on Victor Henry. Sunsau in desperate need, I think, of a win. Yeah. Um, at this point. Yeah. I mean, I I, I have so many. He's just one of those like. Hammers that, that never got the acclaim, like never had his RDA moment to, to go from like, you know, behind the scenes, the real fans love him. But he's been in big fights, Luke, and he's he's always shown up, you know? He certainly has. Uh, now we move to the next one, UFC Fight Night on October 29th. The Olympian is back, Mark O. Madsen. No, he's not Irish. O is his, uh, the, the beginning initial of his middle name. Taking on Drakkar Close. Dude, that should be a fun action fight for as long as it lasts. I love the matchmaking here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept this. Let's do it. Uh. How about this one? Hanato Moicano taking on Brad Riddell, UFC Dude. 281. Yes, fucking please. Wow. How great is this one, BC? Yeah, that's like when you go to your favorite band's concert and then they're like doing a Zeppelin cover and you're like, really? Okay, yeah, let's, let's you know, yeah, let's let's do it. Moicano back at 155, Riddell in need of a win quite badly. This is going to be a fun one. These were all going to be from UFC 281. Your Look, girl, I once Carol- asked you your favorite Led Zeppelin album, and you could not produce an answer, and it did make me question whether we were really meant to be uh, coexisting. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the one with all the good songs. Uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz taking on Silvana uh, Gomez-Juarez. This will be, again, UFC 281. You know, I got to tell you, this should be a winnable fight for Kovalkiewicz. I know Gomez-Juarez had a nice win in her last fight, the knockout, but um, I've not been overly blown away by the Argentine's ability. Kovalkiewicz had a nice rebound. Obviously, we saw this is an interesting one for her. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that that rebound was so emotional that when anyone gets that at that age in that moment, you you have to like, you know, was that the moment for them just to get back and prove that? Or is it is this the beginning of something? She's certainly gonna have to come out and prove that because she was so flat during that losing streak that it just something seemed wrong. You know, it seemed uh, it it was weird to see how quickly she fell off. Let's give her a chance to to climb back. This, like you said, could could be a winnable fight that this it's it's sad seeing my straw weight heroes uh, go away, Luke. Okay. 
Uh, same card. Matt Frivola taking on Atman Azaitar. Frivola is a guy who's got like a, a hell of an engine himself. Kind of been up and down in the octagon against Atman Azaitar, who I think was previously cut for that weird balcony incident or whatever the fuck. Um, but he's back. He's a hammer. Uh, he's certainly got big power. We'll see how much happens there. I don't know if you have any thoughts about it. Uh, no, is it... Does Frivola use the nickname Rock and Rolla, like Anthony Crolla, the boxer, did? Luke, isn't, would... isn't he Steamrolla, something like that? Okay, that's. I mean, that's not that bad. That's that's yeah. pretty okay. Now yeah. this one is interesting. How about this one? Dan Hooker taking on uh, the Peruvian Prince or Prince of Peru, whichever one name he has. Claudio Poyas again, UFC two eighty one. What that's weight, a... Luke? Huh? Is this lightweight now? Yes, back at lightweight. Yes, dude, that's a hell of a fight. I love this in both directions and. Like, Hooker's in need of a win, but dude, old Claudio can fight his ass off. He is not to be uh, fooled with. By the way, obviously, but fully bilingual, can do media in English. He might be poised for stardom. That's one to keep your eye on, this kid. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, I it's This dude, Hooker, only fights great fights. He only fights great fighters in great fights. I wish he would have had more wins, Luke, during some of those, but... You know, so, somebody's got to take the L, Luke. He just keeps coming back, looking to to find that spark, and you just you want to see him get there, Luke. You want to see him find that, all right? All right, but I'll, but I'll say this in his defense this time: one, full camp, and number two, uh, the right weight class, right? So we're in the right weight class for him, and he's going to get a full camp. He's not fighting a top ten guy. Let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can not, do. Not everyone's willing to give money to an old hooker, Luke, but I, I still pay to watch him fight. You know? <laughs> da 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 da. <laughs> Uh, Carla Esparza, yeah. this is probably going to be your co-main event, uh, who's your existing champion at strawweight, taking on Zhang Wiley. BC, do you like this title fight? Do you like this title fight being on the card? I think for me the answer is mostly yes in both directions. Yeah, I love it. I love this fight. And um, this division so rarely ever disappoints, and boy did that Rose-Carla rematch do that and made sort of like... Who's the real champ? Who's the best fighter at the moment? It's kind of hard to tell. I do think, if anybody, Zhang Weili has been coming on. And, and I mean, she seemed to have found whatever she was looking for after the high kick loss to Rose. Even though she lost the rematch, she just looked... She looked... She looked really focused. She looked really confident. Uh, the game plan changes have been good. And then, obviously, she she made quick work of Ioana in, in outrageously spectacular fashion. So... This, I mean, as the co-main to Adesanya and Padeda, give me that, Luke. New York City, let's let's go, bro. This is good. This is good. I mean, Whaley may make a run here, Luke. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't she count might. Rose out. Rose she flip-flops. Might. You can't count her out. Mackenzie Dern's coming on. There's 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 some fighters here. Always. Always. And we'll see. Tatiana Suarez, she's still out there rehabbing and getting ready and everything. She seems like she's getting pretty close to a return, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, okay, we move away from UFC 281. Now we're November 19th. Uh, which could be the weekend. We don't know yet. But again, one of the rumored weekends uh, that could potentially be the Spence versus Crawford fight if they end up making it. Vanessa Demopoulos, who we saw out in Vegas our last time out, taking on Maria Oliveira. Vanessa Demopoulos showing a little bit of life that in ways that I wasn't sure that we were going to see, but good for her. She's done it. And she makes fun fights, Luke. And sometimes she take, takes... You know, sometimes she finds a to gets really close to losing before she finds a way to win, and that certainly makes her really. I mean, she's factory MMA approved. If you're looking for that answer, Luke, okay. If we were a real, you know, managerial team or promotion, we'd be, we'd be, you know. I mean, this is she makes fun fights. Let's keep going. 
Let's do it. All right. Uh, Bob Lawler, Robbie Lawler, just taking on. I mean, we talk about like, you know, RDA's resume and Jeremy Stevens' resume, and it's up and it's down, but it's just nothing but hammers. How about fucking Robbie Lawler now taking on Santiago Ponzanibio? Dude, Robbie Lawler. I mean, for folks who don't realize this, Robbie Lawler knocked out Tiki Gosen, who has been a manager for fighters for like over a decade. This motherfucker is so old, he has knocked out fighters turned managers. I don't want to get fearful of, you know, the amount of damage, but he came up in the Bettendorf Militich. Militich fighting systems, yes. Every practice session is a full-on fight. Like, that. he came up old school. I mean, he fought Evan Tanner. I mean, and shit like that. Like, it's unbelievable that he's still around, but I do worry about the damage. Anyway... It will continue. UFC 282, December 10th. God bless him. Love the fight. That's good. Um, this could be a war. It's going it's to be, be a war. war. That's right. It's going to be <laughs> fucking insane. Wow. Uh, and then last but not least, you know, this is, you mentioned do or die. I do think it might be do or die for Duran win. I like Duran a lot, but after that last performance against Phil Hawes, seems like the writing is going to be in the wall. If you want to stick around, you got to win this one. Julian he's hungry. Marquez. I mean, he's, he's tough as shit, but, you know, I don't know, Luke. You know, December, I mean, you, December seventeenth for this one, Marquez versus yeah. Wynn. Form, former Golden Boy MMA star, Luke. Okay, that's right. That's right. Along with Tom Lawler. Uh, all right, that's it for our topics here. I want to do the World MMA Awards read. I don't see one here, but let's just remind folks: we are up and nominated again for best MMA programming. Please be so kind as to vote for us. You have well, no idea how transformative it would be for us. It would be huge, huge, huge. I'm huge. told that I've been giving the wrong info, Luke. I think we are at the final round. Am I right, Mikey? Mikey, put me in my place. Is this the one where... No, no, no. Only... This is it. There's no final round. Like, the, we're, we're in the final round. This is... There's the nominees. There's five nominees, I think, total. And we're in it. And that's it. Like, there's no second round to this shit. You got to vote now. Maybe now, I'm thinking now, of now. the other podcast award that we're in the final round. And now it just comes down to, like, the select viewers to vote. Yeah. yeah maybe no, no, it's not Maybe that. this is open season right now on us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad. This is the one we went to Vegas for last time, dude. This is the it same is. one. And I'm ready, I'm ready to win it a second time if our people would be so kind. But it's up to them, Luke. Okay? I can't, I can't right. make you do so anything. So if you're watching the show on YouTube, there's a QR code on the screen. Just put your phone up to it and go vote. If you're listening on the podcast, WorldMMAAwards, plural, dot com slash nominees. WorldMMAAwards.com slash nominees. Please go vote for us. It would be huge, huge, huge. If you at all like the show and you want to support us and you haven't bought merch because, you know, hey, you got to keep your money where it is, I get it. Here's a very simple way for you to help us that doesn't cost you a dime. Please help us. It'd be great. All right. BC, let's try this before we get to fan subs. The producers wanted us to do something like our top favorite, our five favorite things. So yeah, they let's asked fill us, time. Let's fill time and have fun, you know? Let's yeah, do let's it. fill some time and have some fun. So they asked us to do our top five favorite strikers to watch. Now, let's be clear about this. This is not five best all-time this is not our five best even right now. Listen to the way we are describing it. These are our top five favorite, just who we like for the reasons that we like them. Now, BC, a couple questions for you. One, do you want to go for in order like five, five, four, four, yeah, three, three, two? Okay. Exactly. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say about mine, BC. I picked these, yes, based on a little bit of ability, obviously. But I want to find fighters who, like, you know, predominantly do their best work in this field as opposed to, like, ground and pound artists. And here's my way of what, which I selected them. Which ones bring me the most joy? Which ones, when I see their fights come up, I get the spidey sense Same about who I want to I go did, see? Same thing I did, Luke. Same thing I did, by the way, okay? And I think this right. is the debut of a new segment we have called Cinco de MK. Is that, is that, that's not a pro, that's not, uh, 
That's not it. I didn't do it. Only if you did, it would be Cinco de MK. That's how it would be. Okay. I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody's peoples, Luke, but Cinco de MK is going to be a killer segment moving forward. I'm telling you. Cinque de MK. Uh, Okay. So how about this? You go first, I'll go second. Who is your top five, number five? favorite striker to watch bc yeah long time watching her first time screaming about it how about a legend to me and sort of my favorite fighters he's been with bellator a long time and he's been knocking fools the hell out andre spartan koreshkov i believe multiple time bellator welterweight champion had injuries in recent years has only consistently lost to the very best but why do i enjoy watching him fight so much because he is savage as shit. And it took a long time for him to round out his game in his you know original fights. Watch the title loss to Ben Askren. He was raw in many categories. But he throws everything into every strike. And he's technical enough that he's not some caveman. But it is like, I don't know if, if I feel like I'm watching a street fight sometimes when he explodes. When he lands the type of shots that he patiently sets up, these shots end fights. And he's tough as nails, and he's been in some very good fights that I'm, I'm not even sure everyone's seen against some very good names. Um, if if Spartan's going to be back around, that's how it used to be as a fan and journalist for me. Oh, oh, Koreshkov's on this shit. I'm watching it. I was there when he won back the title at the Mohegan Sun, and it, and it, and it was a uh, it was a fun moment there. Was that Benson Henderson? I'm thinking of that fight. Yeah, he, yeah, he beat the shit out of him. Um, you know, this is not technical. You know, city kickboxing here, Luke. But this is a guy who smashes, he makes fun fights, and I've always had a specific love for how he sets up these fight-ending smashes. He's a smart dude, but he leans heavily into the violent side of him to get the job done. Yeah, I like that pick. That's a good one. For me, though, I'm going to go a bit of a different direction. For me, I'm going to go for my number five pick. I'm going to go Raphael Faziv. Um, He is a guy that when I see his name come up in matchmaking, I get that spidey sense. That this is the one to watch. I like his acrobatic defense where he does the lean back, the matrix type stuff. That's obviously fun and flashy. But BC, the reason why I like him is because he's got a hard-nosed striking style, right? He can fight you at kickboxing range, and he's devastating there. But, dude, he can be hit a little bit. He'll fight in boxing range and mix it up, but he's devastating there too, obviously with the win over RDA and the way that he got it. He is poised for something special, and he, 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 uh, he's the best of both worlds. He's got the technical pedigree when he needs it, and he's got the hard-nosed attitude when it's time to deliver. Plus, at this stage in his career anyway, he likes to entertain, it seems like, a little bit. He likes to give something back to the fans. So for me, I'm always going to side with people that got that slickness. That's, to me, the most important thing. But you sprinkle on top the acrobatic matrix shit as well as just the biting down on the mouthpiece at times. He's a fun guy. He's a fun, talented striker to watch. He's my number five pick. He's one of those guys where he's explo- he's so explosive that I'm not really sure how how great he can be. Like he's going to be in big fights, I'm sure. But I'm convinced that he can do anything at any time. He's one of those guys. Like like prime Anthony yes. Pettis, right? Can do anything at any time and this fight could be over. I get that feeling watching him. So I like that pick, Luke. All right, who's your number 4? All right, my number 4. Look, this is like a hardcore pick. It might surprise you, but how about some love for D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez, Luke? Wow. You know this guy. You know this yep. guy, right? He's great. I like him. He is. Mu- I mean, he happens to be pretty damn good and is climbing on a nice run at the moment. I, he must be injured or something. He's been out for a while. But when I see him on the card, I, it is must-see TV. So why? First of all, does he have a badass side to him? Absolutely. He could take a big punch. Sometimes he takes too many big punches, but then rallies back. 
And it's not that though, necessarily. It's not even the sort of like Nate Diaz swagger that he carries, but it is the whole package. He's got an aggressive tattoo set and he carries himself while still being a very interesting and, and, and tough to figure out striker in almost a street fight schoolyard swagger to him. I mean, you can confuse it with Stockton there, Luke, but he's got his own his own rhythm to it. And when he gets in the midst of a fight, which he often pretty much is, he, he goes for it. Uh, the, the, the craft that he shows from a from a swagger stance of his hands off and dropped, it always surprises me. He has an ability to get off shots at very good angles and make them heavy and make them count. I love his combinations. I love when he's in a fight and he's going downhill and he knows he's taking the momentum and the control. His ability to pick guys apart, it doesn't look like he's going to have that craft, but he also adds some very interesting footwork combination, you know, natural boxing uh entrances and exits that I think there's a lot more to his game than people realize when you see the blood and guts and the tattoo. And I mean, he's willing, he's willing to make those fights, but there's something intriguing about his Southball boxing style and how he's adapted to the game without compromising from that swagger that, that makes him fun to watch that um, he's good. He, he may, you know, he may win some fights that you don't think Luke, he can fight this guy. He's he, a problem solver. You know, that's what you want out of these guys. You want guys to take some risks, no doubt about it, but you want them to like, you know, uh, figure things out. <sighs> Excuse me. Um, I would say that Rodriguez does that and more. Like, people look at him with the tattoos and they think, oh, brawler. Well, that's not really fair, is it? He's a guy, yeah, he'll mix it up with you. Okay, it's not like he's afraid of contact. But to me, if you just... you, This is a perfect case of don't judge a book by its cover, depending on your... You know I me, mean? I'm not against the tattoos, but I know a lot of people kind of see that and think you must be one kind of fighter. It's not really fair with Daniel Rodriguez. He can do a lot. He can do a lot. I like him, and he's fun, and uh, he gets shit done. He figures opponents out and then really kind of is malicious in a good way like towards, you, the, towards the he's end. He's so good technically that it's almost like you want to tell him to dial down the edge, but the edge is what is what allows him to to take chances and, and, and win big fights. Right. I mean, he's fun in that way. Yeah. All right. For number four for me, now he's had some troubles, although he's got a big fight coming up against Song Yadong. I'm going to go Corey Sandhagen. I love oh, watching pick. Corey Sandhagen go at it. And he's got his own style, man. He's switching stances all different kinds of ways. He's hitting you from angles, and it's this punch, and he's exiting, and it's back at this angle. And I still think he hasn't fully figured out how he wants to fight or fully apply it. And again, you've seen him come up short, you know, against TJ Dillashaw, against Jan, against other guys. But but in terms of like the different fun ways, the new wave, so to speak, especially in that bantamweight division, but more generally among the next vanguard of strikers, who do I put at that next vanguard of strikers? Well, there's several guys, but one of them would be Corey Sandhagen. Corey Sandhagen goes out there and does really interesting, constant motion, constant trickery, constant deception. And when he's you know in his element and doing the things that he wants to do, he's a joy to watch. I think We'll have to see about the other parts of his game. Has he got as well-rounded as he needs to be? Does he consistently apply it as much as he needs to? All the things that have kind of held him back. But I love watching this guy strike. And I think, as I mentioned, part of that future you see leading the way in which MMA striking is headed. Uh, very well said. Uh, to be honest, him and Cheyenne Vlismus just barely missed the cut of my top five, Luke. And and I, I love the innovation, the thought process behind it, how dangerous He's been able to land single strikes, which certainly allows him uh, more control of the terms. And once he's got you in his web, he is fun to watch him pick guys apart with uh, shots that they wouldn't necessarily expect in that moment. Um, 
I, it's tough to, to see him at the current run right now because you know how much he puts into these big fights and how close he's gotten to have almost like we were talking about Dan Hooker, a fighter that is of that ilk, but in the biggest moments I've had more losses than wins of late. But I think there's still time for this guy to, to put it all together. It's, it's the right fight at the right time, the right moment. He's been close to delivering those moments, Luke, and uh, it's the striking that's so fun. I mean, yeah, he's, he's a wizard on the ground too and can get fights from from on the feet to the ground in no time, but it's the way he sets up those uh, creative strikes. It's exotic, Luke. I like it, all right? It certainly is. All right, who's your third pick? Uh, a classic here, and it's hard not to have this guy because I like guys that jump through the screen that they can finish a fight any time, and that is the Brazilian legend, yes, Edson Barbosa, who has such a variety of just vicious... Uh, knockout performances of different varieties of of ultimate Terry Edom, you know, spinning spectacular, but just also other gritty ones. And then on the flip side, because he has such a badass and in two divisions has always matched himself as difficult as possible, he has spectacular losses, but he has the the respect and reputation. He he didn't just become this highlight reel guy. Like he he's as gritty and tough. I mean, the beating he took against Habib to to prove that he could. Uh, you know, he wins a lot of points in those categories. But if you're asking me outside of the moments he's created and the fact that he brings an edge to watching a fight, knowing that it could go, you know, wild at any time, is for a guy that violent in the way the results are. There's a a almost jazz like smoothness to how he enters into the spinning back kicks and, and, and the other you know creative setups, and he's a threat with his hands too. But it's almost like I was just watching on the Showtime app, good plug for your 30 days free at Showtime.com, the uh, NYC Point Guards documentary on, on New York City Point Guards. And, you know, they rightfully, you know, really put up like Mark Jackson, Rod Strickland, Kenny Anderson for, for not only being great and representatives of, of the city, but with that swagger where, you know, you you watch the old Rod Strickland highlights and Ray for Alston too, skip to my Lou, and it's like they're dancing through it. Dude, Barbosa is as beautiful to watch. Like, baseball, Daryl Strawberry Swing, we used to always say, I mean, it's just so beautiful. Ken Griffey Jr., so beautiful to watch. Edson's the best example of being, like, as violent and devastating a, a dream fighter for a fan to watch and then also being graceful. And I told you the story, Luke, I'll say it again, of being at ATT in South Florida for interviews with CBS and just hearing the most out lo- outrageously loud and obnoxious sound of thwack, thwack. And I mean, it was so damn loud you thought they were beating animals outside. And no, it's Edson Bar- Barbosa lightly warming up and doing spin kicks against the pads. And I-, I know that any pro fighter, if you stood next to him while he did that, you'd get a little intimidated. Holy shit, it was like watching an alien just, you know, just sprout six arms, Luke. I mean, this guy, I love him. I love that man. And I'm Dude, I mean, he's, he's got some he's got some of the best highlight reel finishes literally in UFC history. Like for example, that that knee, the vertical knee he hit on uh Benil Dariush, one shot put him out. How about the leg kicks on Rafaelo Tractor Oliveira? How about the the beatdown of uh was it Mike Lulo or whoever the fuck he fought in his in his promotional debut? Like uh, uh, Terry Adam where he turned him into a mannequin. Yeah. I mean, dude, he has some of the most incredible finishes any UFC fighter will ever have. And dude, dude they had, you know, eventually he got beat on the feet a little bit, but dude, for the vast majority of his losses, it's because dudes were trying to take him down consistently because they didn't want any fucking part of that dynamite. And who could blame them, you know? And this is about favorite strikers, and and he he could be in anyone's top five, but he's also got a backbone on him that I just always you're going to respect that to the end, Luke. You're just going to. I mean, damn, he's willing. Look, he's yeah, always his willing. resume. The RDA, the Stevens, is the the Bob Lawlers. 
Check out Barboza's yeah. resume. There ain't a fucking ounce of fat on it, man. I mean, just Damn. nothing but hammers the whole way through. Uh, all right, for my number three, BC, it's going to be a pretty easy one. We interviewed him. I interviewed him on the show here before the break of a couple months before. Adrian Yanez. I want to see how they put up the graphic, too, by the way. Let's see how they did it. Okay, I'm going to ask a favor. I know it wasn't intentional, but I want to ask the, the graphics people a favor going forward. you got to put a squiggle over the N. It's an Enye, and he has you know anglicized his name to accommodate everyone else. Let's make sure we accommodate him and get the Enye over that. It's Adrian Yanez. But BC, how do you not like this kid? I mean, it's it's two reasons why I like him. One, I like that he has this sort of boxing-centered game. And when I interviewed him, you know, it talked to him about boxing. He loves it. And he's incorporating all these different elements. And he's trying. And he's theorizing. And it's working. And his understanding of the game, given some of those precepts, is really remarkable. So I'm excited about what he's already shown, which is dramatic. And not just boxing, by the way. Kickboxing, too, with that. But I'm excited about where he can go. I'm excited about what he and other people like him represent for that future. A guy who can take boxing sensibilities, bring it to an MMA game, build out more than just that, obviously, as he has, and then still be young enough to be like, wow, where's he going to look? What's he going to look like? So, excuse me, in two, three years when he's really entering his prime. I, I think he's going to be as exciting as he is. I think he's going to be even more exciting. I love, love watching him. And if you haven't seen the interview, if you like the kind of interviews where fighters allow you to pick their brains and are candid about the things that they see in talk strategy and talk shop, you got to listen to this kid. He's phenomenal. My pick, Adrian Yanez. A great summation, Luke, of, of, of the next generation that's growing. It's like you always ask that good question about boxing, seeing you know, more attempts at, at switch hitting of both stances and, and doing it in a flow almost than ever before. It's like this next generation in MMA are starting to just kind of like when, you know, after GSP, suddenly everyone's training from day one to be a complete mixed martial artist. It's the, you're watching it happen, but he's also kind of a badass Luke and he watches morning combat. So Adrian Yanez with the creativity, his love of the box, like myself, Luke, right. And boxing. Um, I got to like this guy. All right. Who's your second pick? Uh, my number two, Luke, it may not surprise you because she's my f- favorite fighter to watch uh, consistently. But how about Rosnama Yunus and how about her striking game uh, cerebrally? And obviously, you know, this is one of the prime reasons why Trevor Whitman has deserved so much recognition. Coach of the year last year. And I know, you know, this is how the game works. It just so happens that his three big fighters all lost in title fights and it wasn't, you know, necessarily impressive or inspiring. And that's the truth. But that happens in this game. What Rose has done with Trevor, you know, from obviously her debut with Tough uh, with the UFC to losing the inaugural title fight. Um, she's it's it's beautiful to watch. You know, I talk about watching Barbosa where it's so violent, but it's also so like there's so much, um, you know, elegance to it. Rose is like that to a certain degree, only she also can end the fight at any time with one strike. And you think of her in the first you want to fight just surprising you with setting up that hook and. You think certainly of the head kick against Wei Lee. I mean, at the absolute highest level and the most tense and poised moment, she can go from cerebral and a technician to an assassin. And that's why it's so fun because she was a sub- more of a submission threat when she first came on as, you know, this next Ronda Rousey uh, in some degree as the marketing push was. And uh, do I love her intangibles and her story and how she lives lives it all public on her sleeve. Uh, yeah, of course. That That's what makes her so must-see. But I think it's fueled by this evolution as a striker where um, it, 
I don't think a lot of people, male or female, have a brain like that. And and, and that's why Trevor seemed to be the perfect coach at the perfect time and what they've built together. Um, I think, you know, on the on the women's side, that's helped evolve striking in a, in a huge way. Her her coming to prominence and the work they've done together because uh, she's as good as it gets, Luke, on any given night. There's no question about it. So what do you make of what went wrong against Carla? Um, hearing that extended interview with um, with Pat Berry afterwards, I believe it was with Ariel, and uh, I think it's sort of it's kind of been like this recurring theme where where you know Rose is very honest about her mental health journey, and like I said, wears everything on her sleeve, and you know lost in a as you know crazy a way against Andrade her title, and then found a way to come back and keeps having these big moments. Um, I don't think it's that old narrative of uncomfortability with the belt. But I think as Pat talked about, there was a specific thing that Rose was looking to do to neutralize Carla. And she did that. And maybe not unlike what we were talking about with Aldo against Marab, but different. There was almost a contentment with that and not enough onus to go for it. And she's had some of the most fun career to watch because it's been so up and down and you can relate to it so much. But there's a lot of like... I mean, we're at this level and then we're here, but then we're back at that level. And I think that's sort of who she is. And Pat's talking about it just so happens that there's this system. If you look over her wins and losses of order of a certain amount of wins and then a loss. And um, it's weird that it's that consistent and up and down. But damn, when she's the very best, she is the, the fucking very best. Pat's right. And a lot of that is how she's evolved as a striker. But she gave away that fight. And, um, you know. We'll probably see her rally back and win back the belt, knowing her, Luke. You know, and it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, what what can you speak to to her striking evolution? It's been brilliant. It's been super brilliant. The footwork is a big one. The footwork and the flow and the positioning was good. I, I you know, the, she had an off performance in their last one, which tends to happen at times. I mean, no one, no one can be on every time. I, you know, I think in a third fight, if they have another one, it wouldn't look that way. But uh, in general, I think her body of work and what it's shown is what's you know, how devastating she can be and how, to your point, it is almost like a dance in there with the way she's balanced and shifting and moving. Uh, it's, frankly, it's kind of like just beautiful to watch, just the movement itself. But but the fact that it's so devastating usually is a, a, a testament to, um, you know, just the level of skill that she occupies. She, or she I remember has, the me. first round of the first Andrade fight? She looked like a, a million dollars. Remember that? Yeah. She really did. Um, all right. So my number two, if I may here, BC, I don't know how people exactly view him in totality. He is more than this. But we're talking about like as a striker, how do we view him? I'm going to go number two, Alexander Volkanovsky. I am. I am so blown away by what he has done and changed the game. He beat Max Holloway three times, basically just striking with him. And I know some of those are controversial, but the last one was not. And it was really just that the whole time. Uh, the way in which he talked to me about how he scrambles people's brains, I think this is beyond next level. And I don't think a lot of folks still understand or fully appreciate the level that he's on. They're waiting for some kind of devastating knockout. But the reality is, is he can take his style, as he's mentioned, apply it across a wide spectrum of opponents. That's the first thing. And then more than that, he's got world-class opponents profoundly confused about whether he's coming or going, high or low, left or right, exiting or entering. And it is a magisterial thing to watch. I get so excited to watch him compete, you know, and because I learn new things, I get to see the future of the fight game in the present. That's, that's a big thing that you'll hear me repeat with a lot of these choices. 
And Volkanovsky, to me, is at the very, very, very front of the pack. By the way, moved to number one on the pound-for-pound list by virtue of Usman's loss. And I think that's fair. I think he is the most talented fighter in the game right now, as more than just a striker, but as a striker, he is not completely unique, but the total package of what he presents and the basic quandary that his opponents find themselves in is, to me, without parallel, basically. I love watching this guy compete. Look, we were waiting for you to sprout a, a city kicking boner on this top five. I mean, we were just waiting. And and you know what? I got a dead wrong myself. I've been calling Usman the pound-for-pound pound king throughout the buildup to the Edwards fight during and after. And, uh, yeah, he was still UFC's. Look, I had on my CBS Sports, for whatever that's worth, had made him the number one after doing what he did to Holloway in the third fight. And he was already a wizard and worthy of this countdown, especially if you preferred watching that type of mastery. I don't look at him as much as I look at like Rose as she's like playing jazz out there. He's like somebody who's playing one of those like like whack-a-mole games and is just on top of everything and can make people like a, like a puppet do what, what they don't want to do. And now he's adding more intentionality to finishing and looking to set up to do damage. Yeah, dude, striking-wise, I mean, he's as historically great as, as it gets. I mean, this is, I mean, is, is it quite like what Lomachenko did to boxing where it's like there's just this whole new style and way to look at it? It might be. It might be the MMA version of that, what, what the yes. guys at CKB have done. Yes, I mean, he doesn't use, obviously he's got a different style than Lomachenko and it's a different sport, so there's a lot of differences. So he's not like as angular in that way, although he is pretty fucking angular. Um, but it's more than that. I, again, I go back to it, the scrambling of the brains. I'm not going to fight you head on. I'm going to leave you so confused, you're just going to be open all the time. It's death by a thousand cuts. And dude, I, I, I'm going to be very clear about this. You know, when you're defending a title at the highest level, yeah, okay, some of these guys have you know better skill sets than others. Dude, Max Holloway might be hittable, but it wasn't just that he got hit. Max Holloway could barely find him. He could barely find him, and he was standing right in front of him, basically, you know, in a sort of a general way of putting it, for 25 minutes. It's fucking remarkable what he can do, and I just think there should be a lot more praise for his striking abilities, and there is already a lot, but I'd still, I still, he is going to, he already has, but people like him are going to change MMA. MMA will be different by virtue of what they did during their time here, and you can't say that about a lot of fighters. Well said, Luke. Very right. well said. Your number one choice, my friend. Who you got? Who's your number one favorite striker to watch right now? Okay, I'd really challenge myself with this answer because in some ways, although not exclusive, this could be like asking who's your favorite fighter to watch. Is the one I'm going to reveal right now, do I mention him among my favorite fighters? Not normally, but I really want to ask myself, like, who's the guy, whether you're killing time and you go on UFC Fight Pass and you just want to be entertained, or when you hear his next fight, you get... Oh, God, I want to see that. It's easy for an all-action fighter to, to make this number one spot just for being all-action alone. And there is probably no better all-action fighter right now in my current UFC fandom, along with what we do journalistically, than the highlight. How about that for the perfect nickname, Justin Gaethje? Uh, if it was only big slug or take big damage and make amazingly aggressively fun all-fight-of-the-year fights... Again, he could still populate this number one, and no one's gonna no one's gonna complain. But that evolution again with Trevor Whitman, although it, it, it's now failed at the title level twice, I get that. But that evolution 
to to going pound for pound. I mean, he was, you know, there's questions. Don't forget, there's questions. A lot of questions when he came over from World Series of Fighting. You know, can you do that on this level? Can you, you know, and there were a lot of people saying, watch, he's going to make crazy, insane fights. That's all he was committed to. But to make that adjustment to now the title slash, I actually had him in my top 10 pound for pound. It's because he was able to tone down the violence just enough to craft and disguise it better. But he still threw with everything he had in creative, aggressive ways that not only are you there for the carnage, absolutely, but the craft is dynamic. And uh, it wasn't enough to, to overcome the top of the division as we found that he's not a complete fighter on the same level across the board by any means. But he'll die knowing he was maybe one kick away from putting the greatest fighter of his time in peril. And I'll know, Luke, that when it comes down to it at the end of the day, yeah, I guess I am. I'm a Justin Gaethje super fan, just like all the rest of you, because he freaking delivers. And what he's done with his tools to, to, to craft them in this second chapter, damn. I mean, I could have put Michael Chandler here. I could have put anybody that, that entertains me on that level. But I also love the highlights craft, and uh, that's why he's my number one. I, I, he's fighting. Don't hold my calls, okay, Luke? Hold yeah. my calls. Yeah, all right? he's he's pretty hard to beat. He's pretty hard to beat. Justin Gaethje is, and you know, uh, obviously, you know, we, I don't know. How, people kind of think of him as like he has, he has the wrestling background. Not that he's a wrestler, but he's the anti wrestler. But they think of him just as entertainment. They think of him just as like brawler. But dude, the way the the, the performance he turned in against Tony Ferguson to me was. You know, not just devastating, but epic. But even before that, like the leg kicks in short range that he throws, like where he can put a hand on your shoulder and then he'll leg kick you right there. It's innovative, devastating stuff. And it's also a killer, be killed style. So I, I love that. I love the guys who bring a little bit of smarts, a little bit of, you know, they definitely work on their craft. But then at the end of the day, I'm going to marry that with the most blood and guts attitude you've ever fucking seen. That's that's Justin Gaethje. And that's that's why people love him no doubt about it hell um, yeah all right i'm gonna go for a very different direction i think most folks who know me probably know what i'm gonna say which given his last performance people didn't like it you know i'm gonna get shit for it but i really don't give a fuck because i think his body of work is just beyond remarkable my number one choice is very easy israel uh, adesonia is is my number one sh striker to watch right now and i understand i understand everyone out there is going to be like i didn't like his last performance he's boring listen this is just my list as we say about our rifles in the Marine Corps, there are many like them. This one is mine. I'm not telling you what you have to have on your list. But for me, yeah, was his last performance the most thrilling I've seen? No, it was not. Pretty far from it. But in the total body of work, no one has shown me more about the science of striking than him. He has been, if you want to really understand MMA striking, again, who is changing it, who's at the front of it, why things work, why things don't, and how effective it can be. Undefeated at middleweight, multiple contenders now getting multiple chances, and they still can't do shit to him. This is this is the guy. This is the king to me. And a, a point to be made here, obviously Kamara was winning the fight against Leon, but you can see that in short windows, he can still be hit, right? He got finished off. Dude, this guy... Izzy, whatever you want to say about the lack of offensive urgency at times in the later chapter of his career at this point, fine, make your argument. But they still can't lay a fucking glove on him. Defensively sound, his again, his body of work offensively is remarkable. And I have gotten more joy, more information, more insight 
just more clarity about what is happening in MMA striking by watching him than virtually anybody else. I couldn't imagine another choice. And by the way, I want to make a point. There's a lot of other guys you could have put on this list, like Charles Oliveira, Jorge Masvidal, Wonderboy, whatever. Make your list. Let us know what we missed. But for me and for what I'm looking for and the kinds of things that matter to me, I could not imagine putting anyone else at number one right now except Izzy. He's my top choice. You said the things that matter to you and the kind of things you like. That's why I had two women in my top seven, Luke, okay? (laughs) At the end of the day. No, uh, look, here, yeah, this this is a no-brainer. Even for my list, he should have shown up somewhere, and he's right there on the outside looking, and I've always loved and respected his game, whether, like you said, he's... Whether it fits your entertainment palette for that moment, it's if for him it's not about that. And the fact that it's not is probably going to allow him to go even further than trying to please everybody with performances like I was lucky enough to be ringside for there, cage side uh, in the Kelvin Gastelum one. But, um, you know, Luke, what I love about, you know, sitting in the eighth row on Delta and throwing on UFC Fight Pass and going, oh, who am I going to watch tonight? They always start the the fight when you click on demand there with the video package that was leading in in the broadcast so it's always joe rogan and it's always at his most like not obnoxious but like salesman extra level extra level you'll be like robbie lawler still to this day one of the most dangerous and entertaining strikers who's ever stepped foot on planet earth you're like well yeah i mean through 2016 sure joe but it's like you know it's 2020 2022 now but when he opens those and is like, Adesanya might be the most dynamic and creative striker this sport has ever seen. Uh, he's actually right. So, um, yeah, number one, number one with a bullet. Uh, watching this guy ply that craft and knowing what he is capable of, by the way, if you press him and make him bring that out of him, uh, the times that that's happened, it's been fun to watch. Um, I mean, I'd love to redo on that Romero fight. I wish that never happened, Luke, but, you know. You can't be yeah. perfect. Not all the paintings can be perfect. We've seen that so far on my on my easel, Luke. Okay, I understand. I understand. Uh, all right, I have to piss badly. So why don't we do the next topic? Because I'm I'm about to, I'm about to just have an accident here. Okay, why don't you urinate and I'll set up the final segment. Sounds of the week, like a Luke. good idea. I'll be right back. All right, it's been a while since we've done this. Uh, I don't know if we can do them all. I don't know if we have that time, but here we go. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Every week is your chance to reach out and touch somebody, mostly Mikey Morms, our producer, uh, with your Wednesday fan subs, with your Friday dead wrongs. We haven't read them. This is a BC and Luke-only thing, but we're back today to hear from our fans, from our people, in a segment we like to call Fan Submissions. You've got mail. We've got mail viewers and a lot of these male viewers uh thank you very much uh by the way mikey i gotta call you out live uh david appleton says you've been rejecting his submissions like mutumbo lately i can only imagine the nudity in these that you needed to tone down but shout out to appy over there in france uh you know doing 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 the lord's work there in terms of uh, in terms of creatively with with mk not what he's doing in his personal time with the students um that's really on him but uh, Luke finishing up here. I think I heard a zipper. Um, too bad we couldn't have had a naked gun. Leslie Nielsen moment. Probably be gross. We'd probably rethink the way we look at Luke or think about him hygienically. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure we all have our own assumptions, though, to be fair. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to kick off with Charles. Uh, he's from Hawaii. Aloha, Charles, to you and yours. Um he says, my girlfriend, Bree and I run the family business, Brianne and Company Jewelry Boutique in 
Kawaii, Kawaii, Maui, Waui, Kawaii, Kawaii, Kawaii Leonard. I told her I'd agree to selling her handmade fine jewelry under two conditions. One, I could watch sports on Saturdays, meaning football, boxing, and MMA. And two, I could listen to morning combat in between customers. Once customers are happy and the store is restocked, it's backed to watching you washed walking midlife crises give up fucked uh give fucked up on camera thanks for all your hard work a donk like me and the millions around the world appreciate it uh take care charles and p.s i thought of a cool drinking game we all we will watch bc's feces and take a drink every time brian says luke and every time he says wow I think we're going to get shit-faced. Luke, this is uh, Charles from Hawaii. Him and his wife own a jewelry store, and he's allowed to watch our show in the shop. I mean, there's also no customers here, Charles. So, you know, you're not really doing, you know, you're not a martyr here, okay? You know, you well, could be I appreciate his patronage, bag. but yeah, I mean, less MK, more, more sales, more guys <laughs> flipping signs on the street corner. We do appreciate his wife's support of our product as well. We don't really have too many female viewers. Let's go over to Jason S., so it goes, hope it goes well, he says. A cabbie tried to rob me with a knife, and I hit him in the head with a mini bat. I'm in jail, felt cute, might delete later. <laughs> Laugh my ass off. Okay, I hope that's not true. Well, uh, if, Although he's wearing the hoodie. I see the hoodie. Did, I'll give him credit. If you're going to commit a felony, the MK will keep you, will keep you comfortable, okay? So uh, I don't know if that happened or if it's true, but his boy's representing Luke, okay? Yeah, I don't know what happened to the eyebrows, but I also don't know what's cool. So um, it could be the thing. I'm mean, look. If I see Jake thing. Paul wearing it, I'll know it's it's arrived. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Shout out to Jason S and his buddy there. Let's keep it going. From JB Jopa, greetings to the whole MK team. I have one fan sub, and I should say to Mikey that BC did pre-approve my sub. This is true, Mikey. I went over your authority. It is a drawing of Alex Padeda by my wonderful friend. Her name is Anna. Vitalik. The C in her last name is pronounced the same way you would say Miocic. Anna Vitalic. Just Pretty like good. me and Miocic's parents from wonderful Croatia. I just want to let the MMA community see this great work of art. Much love. It's JB. Uh, JB's friend, Luke. She can, she, can, she can work that art, right? Not bad. He looks a little bit more like the Coneheads we are from France. But, oh, uh, boy. Yeah, I couldn't Mr. Hebas. Like Sorry, Mr. Hebas. I'm teasing. But, I'm teasing. It's very good. It's very good. No. Uh, that was his friend Anna from Croatia. Shout out there. Hopefully Stipe can get back on track, Luke, or Crow Cop or something. I don't know, right? Yep. Uh, Draz, the late Drazen Petrovic. Respect on that name. Uh, also, uh, don't we have that guy? Uh, Jopek Barup, that guy. That My guy. My guy. I, I butchered his name. That guy also representing Croatia. Um, Connor says, hey, guys, my wife and I had identical twin boys a few weeks ago. So now I'm a wash dad like you. They were born too much premature, two months, Ooh. and weighed three and four pounds, but are doing very well. Also, my wife's family has a tradition where they get each other a push gift. My wife's been giving me crap about not giving her a push gift, Luke. I gave her two kids, right? I thought. I, thought, um, I got her a gold chain with our twin boys' initials on it, and she got me my favorite podcast merch. I think we know who won that. Her, 10-8. She may have got the wrong size, and it may look like I'm wearing a schmedium. Uh, but I guess she thought I was built like a dirt road and had no shoulders. Anyways, the shirt's awesome. Uh, say hi to your youngest of fans from Canada. Also, I fixed my cable management thanks to Luke's constant ridiculing. And my dog, his name is Nacho. Well, this first is, of all, he's got a great family. He had a nice little home gym there. And these yeah. uh, these two little ones, tan lindos, they are 
very I'm very happy to hear that their story is ultimately a very positive one. So that's awesome. Uh, let's do a uh, shout out to, to Jopa. I, I know, I know, JB Jopa. I know the people always say, Luke, you know, oh, you've been through something, BC. My, what I went through wasn't as much. No, you, you go through stuff. One day is equal to a thousand years. You understand it. You guys are fighters. I appreciate that. Let's close. We'll do one more here, Luke. We'll catch up next week with the others. From Kimberly, she says, Hi, Luke, and oh, yeah, to BC. Here's a couple shots from Cheeto's event in San Diego. Oh, my shit. baby brother who is deeply embarrassed of me, yet was the one who got me into MMA and MK in the first place, refused to take my photo until after the fights. So please excuse my sweaty and disheveled appearance. Absolutely love you guys, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention how upset my brother still is that you never discussed tension versus Takeru. Yeah, we didn't. We, we're, we don't do a whole lot of kickboxing on this. I gotta say, we don't think we have female fans, but they do exist. They she do says exist. also... Luke, don't be harsh on my tattoos. The crow is technically unfinished, and my uterus snake is very fresh and peeling. Did I just read that? Um, oh, I see. Hope yeah, you, there it is. Hope you guys do a live show in Vegas for Nate Hamzat. I'll skip the concert that I'm supposed to go to, and I'll go to yours. All my love, it's Kimmy, and her brother's name is Kai, if we want to shout him out. Yo, Kai, right? Kai, 100%. who is the, uh, the main villain in Kung Fu Panda 3, which my daughter loves. All right, shout out, shout out there, Luke. Uh, Mikey wants us to keep going, but I'm sweating bullets here. We may have to call an end to the show. All right, uh, it's hot in this basement. It's hot as balls down there. Your call, your call. I can keep going or not? I mean, two and two hours and five minutes is that enough? M Mikey, you tell me. You want me to read another one, Mikey? Which one? Let's bang here. This might be the best one ever. Uh, you can't let that go. You can't miss that, right? He says they get right. good after this one. All right, you know we love our fans. Here we go, Luke Saul, not the guy Anthony that well, I thought was Saul, the real one. He says, took the wife out for mid-tier Mexican on a beautiful day. She suggested as a joke to wear matching shirts, but this was no joke for me. Oh, I knew exactly which pair we would wear. MK all day, nearly every day. Do they wear the same shirt? Bro, oh, look at that yes. flatter. You got, you got the Lomo. You got the Pojito. You got the Camarones. You got the whole bit up in this motherfucker. Nacho Suancheros. Yeah, you got. I, I, mean, I see you, motherfucker. I know you've been dying to do that. <laughs> um, uh, Luke, uh, they're eating well in the neighborhood. I mean, if my wife let me release a, po a photo of her eating, I don't know if we'd still be married. But shout out to Saul. Also, I mean, could you have more beer? I mean, that's just the biggest glass of beer I've ever seen. That's just he's one of tremendous. our best fans. I love Saul. All right. By the way, I gotta say, this is like the best food to fucking eat, man. This is it right here. This is the, I mean, people like Italian food's the best, and it's pretty good. But I don't know, man. A skillet with fucking cooked meat yeah. and some guacamole yeah. and some beer your, and some chips. With your beautiful lady dressed in MK, that's a that's a date yeah. night, right? Winning. There. That's a winning is what he's doing. Event. Winning. Yeah. Thank you, Saul. Thank you to your lovely wife as well. Luke, you know I'm always trying to remind you who JP is. You know Jay Paquette from uh Mount Uniac, Nova Scotia? You know this guy? I don't even know who works on the show. All right, he's got a little bit of web scream in his blood. He's coming for this fan thing. Here we go. I've been a fan of yours, Luke and MK crew. Before, since before the MMA beat days, and I've decided to resort back to my birth name of Jason for all future fan subs to help reduce your saltiness towards all things Jay. Like, fuck you, Jay Aaron. You're ruining everything I'm working for, motherfucker. Long overdue, it's the Luke Thomas AG1 vape product promotion, where health and nutrition meets a dirty old and washed 40-year-old <laughs> habit. Benefits of daily use. For less than $3 a day, I can get the appropriate amount of healthy nutrition to be like, fuck Jay Paquette. <laughs> Anyone associated with the na same name as Jay, 
I'm now salty with that because of Jay Aaron. Love you guys. Uh, Keep up the award-winning show. Fan for life. Fucking good. Oh, that is that's really good. Dude, like if AG1 one, no, warning, blow, blow back up real quick. Blow back up. It says here, warning. Uh, vaping with AG1 will not reduce the fact that you're plus 40 old and washed. Then Thor <laughs> Love and Thunder. That is just fucking great. Oh, boy. he's This is the same guy that made the, the super sloppy graphic for me when I pick out my fight of the week to watch. This guy's fantastic. Um, shout out to Nova Scotia. Never been there, Luke. You? Nova Scotia. Not yet. Not yet. Mount Unike, maybe? I don't know. All right. Uh, this is from Notch, Notch Ruble. Tell Luke to stop hugging the frame. Oh God, that's brilliant! That is so good. This one, this one made the rounds on MMA Twitter. I got uh, well. I mean, everyone was just making fun of the whole scenario. That is but, so uh, good, dude. That's but, so uh, good. Yeah. yeah, look at that. I mean, definitely, he was not. We were not the same size human. Um, there is that. There is that. What can I do, man? I and they always give me the low, littlest fucking chair too. Yeah, you're like Andre the Giant on an airplane right now. You're like so close to just shitting your pants with a curtain in front of you. Um, Luke, finally, Danger Mouse is here. He says, hey, BC, I guess you've been the real Lone Ranger this week, but as I fired shots at you upon your return, it's only fair to do the same to Luke. Not that you're escaping unscathed. I mean, I guess it's summer, but what the hell? I like this template. Plus, it's true for you two right now. Let's see what he's talking about here. First, there's Luke. <laughs> I hope Silver away on vacation again. Oh, fuck off, everyone. I'm gonna. And by the way, can I wear... I mean, hold on, go back. I want to point out something. Those aren't my normal shoes that I wear, I don't think. <laughs> I think they gave me, like, dad shoes in this motherfucker. Ah, they're close, Luke. They're close. But, uh, you know, you you took off 12 days during the biggest fight week of the year. Luke, that's your preference. You can't be heckled for that. We had to. We had to. We had no choice. Going on vacation. So hot right now. Yes, that's true. Very true. And finally, Danger Mouse says, you cannot be, another you cannot be serious featuring guest host Chuck Mindenhall. No clever meaning. I'm just riffing here. You said only one beer. Yeah, you know, I did. I, you know how many beers I drank on vacation? I think like six, maybe seven total over the course of all that time. I had That's one six one. pack I bought the first day and it lasted the entire time. Uh, that was very good from Danger Mouse. It was one of a contender for Donk of the Year. You got to believe that. By the way, that John McEnroe um, doc is coming to Showtime soon. Uh, we got one more, Luke. Apparently, Mikey's got Jay Paquette on here a second time. You know him from Mount Unike. Yeah, I said it, Nova Scotia. He says, at the end of episode 334, Luke reminded BC about getting tattoos if and when Sean Brady wins. <laughs> <laughs> if we look into the MK Crystal Ball after the win at UFC 280, what exactly would the trip to the Philly Tattoo Parlor look like? How about BC going balls deep and all in with the official MK City of Brotherly Love tip to tip tattoo of him and Luke. Keep up the award-winning show. That's amazing, and we are going to do that. I mean, I got we got to figure out a way to get Showtime to pay. But um, dude, look at your face in that. That's just brilliant. That's wow. from the Max Holloway interview. That's great. That's really, really, really good. These are good fan subs. I'm impressed. We should we should hire um like people like JP and 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 Web Scream and do like an MK reality show spinoff where they you know it's kind of modeled after one championship apprentice look. <laughs> We'll bring Shatri in. It'll be great. All right, there you go. It'll be great. All um, right, dude. I gotta get going because we the we gotta fix our AC here, and you're sweating bullets. It, we're both sweating balls. That's all I got this week. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed the show. We're caught up. We will be back Friday, so obviously stick stick around for that. Don't miss the Demetrius Johnson sit down. BC Chuck Mindenhall. 
Tons of other good content on the site coming, obviously, as we return. we got a big, big fall and winter coming, man. Really cannot wait for all of that. So for BC, for CBS Sports, for Malka, for Showtime, you can follow us there on social. Don't forget to vote for us for the World MMA Awards. Don't forget to get those bomber jackets for the winter slash the fall. There you go. You can vote for us right there as the QR code. Take, take a look at that bad boy. And, of course, morningcombat.store for the uh, the merch if you want to get a bomber jacket for you or your loved ones heading into the uh, AG1 flu and cold season. You know what I'm saying? All right. That is it for us today. That's BC. I'm LT. Thank you guys so much for watching. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you on Friday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.